Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 225th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options, as well as the other important project okay. of removing all of the total asshole artists from Magic the Gathering. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. It was, uh, I wasn't sure if you were going to touch on that, but it was uh, a point of pride this week that Mike Cernovich was complaining about that Hipsters of the Coast article regarding the removal of Nielsen. Uh, Mike Cernovich, for those that are unaware, is a lunatic on the far right. And for him to get angry at essentially our, I'm going to say our, is in the magic community's efforts to uh, remove toxic individuals is is something of a feather in the cap, I think. I was like, oh, 2020 is going great if this guy is getting angry about something I did. Yeah, I mean, we talked, we touched on Nielsen last week, but I mean, I had numerous people argue to me this week that, you know, all she did was like some tweets and it doesn't prove anything, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, what did and we talk about it last week? Just, yeah, because I think it, had, it was already going down at that point. It was Bradley that was fresh this weekend. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll get to all this in, in, the, in the fourth segment. Um, I wanted to take some time off the top to talk about uh, another incident with police that went down. And geez, I mean, if you've been following the news spin the wheel and uh and take a guess at which one i'm talking about for those of you in the u.s probably haven't even heard of this one yet because it's up here in toronto i actually don't know what you're i actually don't know what you're referring to i don't think yeah so in toronto this week there was a guy who was essentially he's like over 60 schizophrenic he was having a mental health crisis in his apartment and it was on like a second floor apartment uh in a building that had an outer balcony so tactical cops rolled up with a ladder went up on his balcony Kicked open the door, started yelling at him. They claim he had a knife in the house, but I mean, who doesn't? Um, they shot him with, I think, plastic bullets and uh, stun gun first, and then pretty much immediately proceeded to blow him away. And so that's what we're protesting up in here in Toronto this week, since <laughs> it's a prime example um, that ties into a bunch of other conversations I've had this week, which is... People wanting to discuss the ideas that many of us have been promoting around defunding police services and redirecting those budgets. Um, I had a long talk with my father-in-law, who is, I mean, liberal as far as, far as Eastern Europeans go, um, but <laughs> not liberal by my by my standards. It's a di- different set of standards in different parts of the country, oh, yeah. different parts of the world. Oh yeah, C- coming out of Eastern Europe, people that you know experienced. Um, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union and the crumbling of the Berlin Wall and so forth. There tends to be an attitude of, you know, just be grateful that you have cops that don't shake you down every day. Um, But they also have a complete and total lack of context of the black experience in North America. Um, Mm -hmm. They still use words that approximate, uh, you know, the N-word over in Eastern Europe and use it to promote parties and so forth. They'll say things like Tuesday night is black night to mean that it's going to be hip hop night. Um, yeah. It's not exactly the most advanced uh, set of societies from a racial justice perspective. 
How about those? Uh, oh God, that one thing over in one of those countries, one of the Dutch countries, where they all put on blackface. Yeah, anytime you have a homogeneous population, you're going to tend to have a, a marked decrease in sensitivity and a much higher propensity for racism. It's also why people, why you tend to have a uh, heartland versus coastal metropolis kind of dynamic in in a lot of modern politics, because people that live amongst peoples of all uh, different stripes and creeds tend to have a much more advanced perspective on these issues mm-hmm. so i remember reading about that a while ago that essentially the more diverse the area you lived in was the less you held those beliefs and like when people from very homogenous zones moved to integrated areas diverse areas they became more liberal and accepting of different groups as they were exposed to them it's not hard to love other human beings when you actually spend time with them uh, and, yeah. and eventually you come around to the realization that most humans are assholes, but it has nothing to do with the color of their skin, <laughs> where, they're, had, where they're from, or the fact that their culture is different than yours. I had a friend years and years ago who was uh, Jewish, and his family were Jewish, and I think they had on their, um, their yarmulkes, and they were traveling through some remote area in the Midwest, I don't, I don't remember. It's been, honest to God, it's been 20 years since he told me this story. So I only remember the very key points. But the point is, is that they were like in some restaurant and some younger child from a family went up and said, can I see your horns? Because he genuinely believed that Jewish people had horns. Oh my God. Because he had never seen a Jewish person in real life before. Insane. Yeah. All right. So... Yeah, I'm talking to my father-in-law out on the porch over beers for three or four hours. And I'm taking the opportunity to attempt to lay out a variety of social justice theories that he has clearly not spent any time with. And one of the biggest chunks of the conversation was one that I've had with several people this week, which is, how can you possibly be for defunding the police and dismantling the police services wouldn't that just lead to chaos and anarchy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I have admitted to everybody who's talked to me about this that there is absolutely a marketing problem in this discussion because while the people that are angry and desire reform have every right to those feelings, there is a communication snafu in the way that we are discussing this because it to to people that are especially to those who are too lazy to get up to speed on the details before they engage in the other side of the conversation um because when we say that we're going to defund the police we don't mean that society is going to devolve into anarchy on the contrary we're looking to have an even better run society with less people in trouble less people abused less people murdered pointlessly less people left to their own devices in situations where they thought authority would help and did not and i spent some time trying to lay over him a variety of scenarios you know how being sexually assaulted or raped often leads to an extremely negative experience because the entire process is completely devoid of any empathy or inclusive of a step-by-step that would put the victim first 
about how you know in speaking to my brother who spent has 20 years on the force up here you know most theft related uh calls to police are basically just a bunch of paperwork with no result because the only time you ever get your stuff back is if cops raid some major operation and happen to find some things that they that match up to reports they have on file um the fact that most you know traffic related police violence incidents could probably have been resolved with absolutely zero need for any weapons on site whatsoever and that there is in fact a massive issue with systemic racism across police forces all over the world really but specific to um, people of color in Canada and the US specifically that not only has it been going on forever but even in the midst of all this protest, as we're all aware, has been incident after incident after incident, almost on a daily basis, now that we're in this era of cameras being pointed at people involved in the situations. Mm-hmm. I, I had, um, well, did you make any progress? He, he's a reasonable person. But I still think he came out the other side of it with that I'm pie in the sky about it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I, and I noted that and tried to make sure that he understood that I don't think that that me, that I think that these theories about how you can reform police services are going to lead to a utopic, uh, result, but we know what is currently in place is not working. And when people say, well, you know, just more training and whatever, there's all sorts of evidence that none of that works and that most police services just treat it as a burden and ignore it. Many, many of the incidents that have taken place in the U.S. in the last 10 years involve people who had recent incidents of training. There was, a, in, I think, one of the protests on the west coast of the U.S., if I'm not remembering this incorrectly from a few weeks back, the police ended up attacking and macing the guy that, that trained them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that did come up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, lot of work to, a lot of work to do, but it's not, it's not some you know, lunatic fringe concept. It's, it's about, it's not about leaving a void. It's about filling it with much more intelligent community services. Right. I had a conversation recently with somebody and they are generally to the left, but need some context because they don't live on the internet like I do. So they're not embedded in the midst of all of this. So they hear through the grapevine about defund the police, but they don't really have the the definition of it and you know i tried when i really tried to boil it down i said it's defund the police is the first half of it the the unstated second half is and use that money elsewhere take 90 percent of their it doesn't mean take 90 percent of the money away from the police and then you know build statues of Karl marx it means take 90 (laughs) percent of that money and put it into the hands of other groups that can support provide the right support, you know, like train professionals who show up when people are having mental health issues and, and various forms. It's like, you know, we have firemen who come when something's on fire. We have EMS who come when someone has a physiological problem. And then for everything else, we have police. And really, we have a lot more different types of problems. We should be funding different groups to respond to those issues. Um, and I, you know, I kind of tied that into, you've heard the expression when everything you have is, when, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. 
And we have all these guys out there who are walking around with guns showing up to a situation and suddenly they see a bunch of nails. Uh, and I'm like, you know, think about all these different situations. Do you really think that someone showing up with a gun is helping that situation, right? Like that, the answer is no. So it's not just take the money away from the police. It's, it's grow the support structure over a period of time, right? It's not going to happen overnight. So that the anyone who has having the police called, whenever the police are getting called, someone in that situation is at a very low point in their life somewhere in that exchange. So having guys show up with whose sole job it is, is to protect the capital interests and shoot some black people. Like that's not going to help us, right? Like we need other programs, but I do, I do want to speak to your one point that it, there, there, there's a PR problem here and I'm not, I'm not in agreement with that. Kibler brought this up a, uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks, three weeks ago, and kind of got taken the task for it as well. And I think it's easy to look at that and say, well, if you say defund the police, you're going to scare all the all the boomers, right? You're going to scare all the normal white people who watch Fox News. And there's a couple aspects to this. One, I think a lot of the people that you're really scaring with it are the type of people who are never going to be on board with what you said, no matter what. Two, is it, and this is one of the ones that's presented to Kibler that I remember, is if you use softer language, uh, reform the police, for instance, um, what that does is it's a much more amorphous, nebulous goal. So police departments can take meaningless steps, sure. then write about all the things they accomplished, and then say, there we did, we, we re-reimagine re, re, uh, the police, or we reform the police. And it essentially lets them squirm out of actual any responsibility. Defund is a very clear statement. There's no ambiguity. It means take money away from them. And it's much harder to sneak around and, you know, pull their little cloak and dagger games with with a term like that. Because ultimately, if the move is going to draw any concessions, the concessions need to point to the rallying cry of the movement. I think those are excellent points. Um, but I should make crystal clear. I don't I don't think that defund the police is a is a battle cry that should be rewritten or softened in any way to make other people feel comfortable. All I'm saying is that <clears throat> it does present a conversational barrier that you then become get to decide whether you want to just tell the people that don't get it the fuck off or if you want to have a more involved conversation and put some time into it because it's somebody you have a relationship with. You're going to spend some time redefining uh, the end goal so that they properly understand what you're proposing. None of none of that changes, as I said before, that we are all entitled to the anger that leads to that battle cry. And there is no responsibility to soften it, to make others comfortable. Um, and I fully agree with the points about uh, very clean and simply understood goals that can be presented to local politicians move money from point A to point B are, is a good way to go about things. Okay. Um, well, we could, I, we could probably talk about this for another hour, but we have 30 minutes until <laughs> our guest is supposed to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat in discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
Uh, let's see. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on our agenda this week, my friend? Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the MTGO metagame week in review, probably very quickly. Then our top paper movers, cards that have moved the most in price in the last week. Uh, probably some top MTGO movers in here. There is no way we are getting all of this done before Jason shows up. Uh, then our after that, paper cards to watch. The cards Jason, James and I have our eye on for price point, you know, price gains. Uh, and finally, our topic of the week, we have uh, Jason all on to talk Core Set 2021 and Jumpstart. Yeah, we, as we said yeah, last week, we, we kind of figured that in the context of most MTG Finance revolving around Commander cards right now, and Wizards already having claimed that 2020 was the year of Commander, uh, it makes a lot of sense to bring our boy Jason on to uh, provide additional insight into what parts of jumpstart and core uh, 21 we should be uh, flagging as uh, big gainers for the future cool uh so segment one our mtgo metagame week in review um looks like we got some pioneer modern and uh, you have pt arena three and four on here was okay so there was more. There was more players tour events this weekend, same as last weekend. Okay, okay. So they split it up over two weekends. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there was. They okay. basically div- divided the pro tour into four pods. It seems like. Okay. I thought I had heard less about it. I feel like I heard less about it this time than I did last. There week. There was still plenty of chatter, um, ongoing, but the hey, wait, where did all the viewers go conversation had already been had the week before. So maybe there was just a little bit less uh, churn overall on social media. So this sure, was standard sure. decks again. And last week we were decrying the fact that Wilderness Reclamation builds had just utterly dominated. Uh, for Arena 3 and 4, uh, players to Arena 3 and 4, it wasn't quite the same thing. Uh, in number 3, we had Jund Sacrifice take the title um, with... I think just two of the top eight decks being team of reclamation builds, uh, including second and eighth place. Third was Bant Control. Fourth was Sultai Control. Fifth was another Junt Sacrifice uh, with Corvold. And then Orzov Doom Foretold in sixth, making a rogue appearance. And Rakdos Aggro in seventh. So that one was looking relatively balanced. And if that was how they all looked, then this would seem relatively healthy. Um, although a format that still uh, certainly revolves around the Jund Sacrifice deck and the Team of Reclamation builds. Now, over in Pro Tour, uh, Players Tour Arena 4, it was a little worse. Four four decks in the top eight, so 50% of them, were Team of Reclamation, with Blue-White Control in 2nd and 4th, and Bant con- Control and Bant Flash Control in 5th and 6th. So there's still only four or five decks you can play in this format, and it's uh, still unclear whether anything... Is more dominant, likely to become more dominant than Team of Reclamation before it wrote before some of the relevant cards rotate in the fall. Well, you know, it's hard for me to give. You know, when you say there's still only you know three or four decks you can play in this format, that's true of most standard formats. 
I mean, like you can play whatever you want, but like three or four is not an embarrassing amount of decks to be available in the top tier in constructed in standard basically this weekend wasn't so bad as i said but if you take last weekend plus this weekend together and i i'm guessing if you looked at the you know league and uh challenger uh league challenge and i guess they don't have super qualifiers right now but leagues and challenges and and tallied the stats i'm guessing wizards is looking at data that says wilderness reclamation is is ridiculously dominant and needs to go and i would not be surprised to see it get banned or they might choose to leave it alone. But I, I think that because Arena is so f- focused on standard and historic is still kind of an oddity um, as the in-between format between Pioneer and standard on Arena, they might take action here. They don't have to worry about cards being banned in paper pissing anybody off because there's nowhere to play them anyway. So they can they actually have a lot more freedom to just fix digital formats, especially ones like Arena where... If your Wilderness Reclamations are no longer playable, it doesn't really mean much. Most people have all the cards they need for standard at this point anyway. Yeah, it's kind of an odd setting here because they can... They can decide... They can look at it and go, well, banning Wilderness Reclamation uh, is a PR loss because we have to ban another card... So even though standard is going to be a little crummy until the fall set, that's a god that's four months away though. Oh my god, like that that is a while. But maybe like they they don't think they don't think standard being kind of mediocre on arena right now is a big deal, so they just leave it uh, because the PR hit of banning yet another card isn't great. But <clears throat> I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm trying to play devil's advocate, but I feel like the other side of this, which is well, hey, uh, if we ban this yet again, it makes standard better. People will generally like it. We don't take the PR hit of people's pl- players' paper cards getting devalued and like their paper deck getting messed up because nobody's using it or playing with it anyways. And we be- we begin to slowly move the Overton window on what bans and standard look like. And if we keep banning standard cards every now and then, people come to expect it. It used to be verboten before, but now just, you know, it happens. So it makes it easier for us to ban standard cards in the future, essentially. I can definitely see him taking that tact. Yeah. All right. So standard, not super exciting in the moment. Pretty stale. Uh, Taking a look over at uh, the Pioneer Challenge from June 22nd. Uh, Pioneer's still looking pretty solid. Um, There are still people out there complaining about blue, black, inverter. And I hear some rumblings about Lotus Field Breach combo. But the top eights keep looking good, like blue-white control in first, mono-black vampires, blue-black inverter, constant presence, Heliod Ballista in fourth, Breach combo in fifth, mono-red in sixth, hardened scales with Lurus, a companion deck, in seventh, and red-white burn, which is a smidgen of white, uh, in eighth. Seems like a reasonable meta. Yeah, I mean, I like the looks of that stuff going on there. Something for everyone. Uh, Modern Challenge on June 21st, so two days ago. Uh, Blue-red control in first with Thing in the Ice. Uh, Creature combo. That's like this five or six different creature combos. uh, Vizier remedies, etc. In green-white. Urza Emery in third. Amulet Titan in fourth. And then a crazy yorion driven kinnon urza mid-range deck with four copies of kinnon i think there's emery's in there as well uh uros and and 
What's the green blue flying snake whose name escapes me? Uh-huh. From Modern Horizons. Whatever that that card is. <laughs> the Modern. the snow card. Uh oh, uh oh, now I can't think of it. <laughs> I poisoned you. I can see it now. I yeah. can see it now. Wing wing coaddle. Wing coaddle. Yeah. Just Lore. fell right out of my head, but everybody knows. Ice Fang Cloud. There you go. Ad nauseum in six, Bant control in seventh, and blue another blue red control deck in eighth. So the blue red control build, uh, being able to put two copies in the top eight is probably the most interesting. This was two Narset Parter Avails, four Snapcaster Mage, four Thing in the Ice, one Vendillion Click, one Flame Slash, three Serum Visions, one Abrade, two Archmage's Charm, two Cryptic Command, one Electrolyze, two Force of Negation, four Lightning Bolt, one Magmatic Sinkhole, one Mana Leak, four Opt, three Remand, two Spell Snare. 22 lands um notable here no arc light phoenixes uh they don't seem to be interested in playing that game at present that which is kind of surprising we really thought that was going to be a major component here uh that that fell out feels like fairly quickly but at the same time i think that you could definitely see arc light make a pretty strong return under a number of conditions the eighth place deck was a little different. Two of the Royal Scions, which were absent in the first place deck. Two Bone Crusher Giant, two Brazen Borrower, and then three Snapcaster, three Thing in the Ice, and then a pile of red and blue spells. Um, so in neither case were they interested in Arc Lights, and there are no Arc Lights in the sideboard either. Hmm. You uh, are you how how many of those you got floating around? I've got a bunch. I, I've made money on it twice already, and the third time there's certainly a pile that's in the probably going to be uh, a bad spec box but could surprise me um the problem with arclight is that if it doesn't make something happen in pioneer or modern there's no real other real home for it so we really need to get back to paper edh is not gonna sell arclight phoenixes no but i mean in you know to, to lessen the blow uh arclight phoenix is a card that wants you to play a lot of cheap red and probably blue spells and if there's one archetype in magic that has never gone away and probably never will yeah it's people wanting to play a bunch of cheap red and blue spells all right so that's the metagame recon review pioneer modern looking pretty pretty reasonable uh standard really needs a, a bit of bit of fresh air uh top paper movers of the week Jump in at the bottom with a pick that we called out episode 191, October 22nd of 2019, which may as well be a trillion years ago. Um, to go from $9 to 18 starting to see some of that movement, the aforementioned card is Stone Coil Serpent, uh, the extended art non-foils. Uh, got up to about twelve fifty so far this week and are likely to continue draining. Uh, action for this on the competitive side, but also solid in various EDH builds um, that want to have creatures with plus one, plus one counters on them. And the fact that it is protection against multicolored uh, gives it another dimension in commander as well. Yes. I, this card, I didn't think much of it when we first saw it, but it has proven it's metal over and over again. Um, so not too surprised to see this starting to move. I mean, 10 dials for non ten. Oh, the, the, that's the extended art, but it, I, I don't think we've seen the end of Stone Coil Serpent, and I wouldn't be surprised to see this a significant component of colorless decks in all competitive formats going forward. Reach, Trample, Protection from Multicolored, plus one, plus one counters. It's a lot of themes that 
tend to be useful. S scales, to, yeah, scales to any power that's relevant. Yeah. Uh, Yagmoth's Will out of Urza Saga, going from 105 to 135 or so. These are drying up. I've been selling some MPLP copies in more like in the 70 to 80 dollar range this week. Uh, it's a reserve list card. It's uh, there's been pressure on most of the easily remembered reserve list cards over the last couple of months because, as we've talked about many times, vendors are having uh, a lot of inventory challenges, and the market is looking more and more drained. Cabal Coffers at a Torment going from 65 to 95. Um, this one has a reprint possibility at some point here, so I'm I'm definitely a seller at that price. The original copies the might well maintain a higher plateau in the face of a reprint, but if you got them if you got them cheap, you've got some nice exits here. This one's funny because just this week, uh oh shoot, meddling mage. Chris uh, Pakula, Pakula posted a photo of uh, of a foil cabal coffers in with a pile of other cards and his cat next to it. And the caption was, are you meaning to tell me my cat's been sleeping on a $100 card for the last week? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, it was a $100 card before your cat started sleeping if on it. If it was a foil, it's significant, probably significantly more than 100 uh Yeah, it was foil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next on the list, Pyramids and of Arabian Nights. Uh Relatively useless card, but it's on the reserve list, going from 320 to 500. This is just copies drying up and nobody dropping any off at buy list. Um, we're going to see this again and again and again for months until COVID clears up. Yeah, which we'll talk about some more uh, actually when we get to our picks of the week, because sure. I think there's some conversation to be had there. Goblin Recruiter at a sixth edition, five to eight dollars. Not a huge gainer, but Conspicuous Snoop is continuing to move goblin related cards. Uh, remember that Recruiter is, I think, only legal in Commander and Vintage, so doesn't have any relevance anywhere else. But uh, if Goblin deck, there was a pretty cool Goblin revealed for Jumpstart this week, so entirely possible uh, it will get some Commander support along the way here. Veil of Summer at a core 20, foils from 40 to 70. This is an uncommon from a Summer set, but it also had the was the first set with the plus 50% foil drop rate pretty astonished if you had told me that a foil uncommon from that set would be 70 dollars a year later i would probably not have believed you yeah yeah we both would have been like there's no possible way that could happen that you can buy a box of core 20 at 90 bucks right like if you buy a box of core 20 at 90 bucks if one foil veil summer is almost the entire box's value yeah now the, the odds of seeing a particular foil uncommon are still pretty low, even with the fifty percent boost. So you don't really want to be chasing those boxes looking for it, but still crazy to think that if you happen to open it, you're going to be in real good shape. It's mostly because it's a pioneer and modern staple. I, I wonder. I don't think people play the, these sideboardy type cards in EDH, right? Uh, Veil, for the most part, let me no. See. Is Veil broad enough that it's seeing? Actually, actually, yeah, Veil... actually, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm glad I looked. 11,000 decks recorded on EDH rec. The, the fact that it's blue and black uh, is helpful enough at your average table that uh, it's in 6% of all relevant green decks. So this is I, EDH, Pioneer, and Modern, and EDH is certainly what is helping prop up the price here. Yes, that is, I, the, the card is broad enough that it is, I can see it being played in EDH, which is what I was trying to say before you told me how many were in it. Um, 
Bloodhound on Mercadian Masks foils from 8 to 15 on the back of Brennan Seri, the new dog and cat commander. Uh, Mercadian Masks is real old, so not terribly surprising. Uh, foil Oath of the Gatewatch Wastes 183, which is the bad art, jumped from 2 to 450, so a little over a double up here. Did you happen to look at Wastes 184 while you were in there? I think that the deal with 183 was it was only available in one product SKU, and I can't remember if it was what used to be called fat packs or not. I don't I I don't believe that's true. I'm I, I'm I remember there being more than one printing of wastes at the time. In fact, I thought there were I thought there were four. Maybe there are only two. Now the well, okay, so hold on. This is 183. Sorry, hold on. This is 183. If this is referring to the non-full art. It is. Then, okay, then yes, that is the, you're correct. That is the fat pack only. The full art 183 was in booster packs, but the non-full arts were only in the fat packs. Yeah. Right. So th- this is the one that has the waist, uh, like the colorless mana symbol on it. Uh, and okay. they're, okay. because they were only in those packs, they are... A lot harder to find um hence the little price bump here um and i suspect yeah. that, and people were talking about it at the time that that was going to be a thing so there are definitely people listening that have stacks of these sitting around that they can probably you know dig out and see if the buy lists have uh, recognized the price shift yet yeah it's kind of weird to picture someone going after this like of, of someone setting out to say i want this one specifically but like eh, whatever sure it just seems like a weird card to try and go pick up copies of. So one of the cards that was revealed for Jumpstart this week that seemed to have uh, a bunch of people excited, I, I guess is the easiest way to put it, was Tiny Bones. Yeah. Let me track this guy down yeah. in this massive list of cards that's in this set. Yeah, I could not tell you what he does off the top of my head. There were so many cards spoiled. Uh, I believe it. I guess not that many new ones. I believe but. it's something like you draw a card. Oh, at the end of each turn, and if opponent discarded a card, you lose a life and draw a card, and then you can pay six, and everyone who has no cards loses in their hand loses ten life. Gotcha. So I did. I did. I just remembered what it does. There so we th- go. So this moves a bunch of cards. Uh, including Anvil of Bowgarden from Visions going from 13 to 32 because it basically forces regular discarding. Uh, We've got Persistent Petitioners out of Ravnica Allegiance going from a dollar to three. This was also a card that was flagged right up front by pretty much all of the major personalities in MCG Finance because as with things like Colony, uh, Rat Colony or Colony Rats or whatever it's called, any of these cards that can be played uh, in decks with more than four copies even if they're commons they you know if somebody's going to buy 20 30 40 of these at a time they're going to be a thing uh and so the thing that's setting this off is that a mill focused commander was spoiled for jumpstart which then gets people thinking about building persistent partitioners decks again Mm-hmm. yeah and it's mono blue so like i'm not in love with it it doesn't seem like it's that interesting but people will still build yeah it. and it, the thing is you just don't need that many people to get on the bus if a thousand people do it's going to keep petitioners nice and high for a while for sure uh, did sure. jerry do homelands showing up every single time they print anything 
minotaur related this card <laughs> takes off it's just so funny when uh that minotaur legend isn't even good and then, yeah and then nobody plays the minotaurs <laughs> the afford yeah uh, but here we go again. Jujeridu, four to twelve dollars. Uh, as with every time Jujeridu takes off, you just sell it if you can, and roll right along. Did you know that there's an entire Jamiroquai album that leans heavily into the Jujeridu? I'm glad I don't know that. The, uh, what? You don't like Jamiroquai? No. Jamiroquai is excellent. Oh, okay. Virtual insanity. Virtual insanity. We're not, we're not getting into that conversation. Uh, oh workhorse out of Exodus it went from two dollars to eight dollars on the back of the Unicorn Jumpstart Commander. Um, not a big believer in workhorse either, so I think you sell into that if you can. Bottomless Pit out of Stronghold, a dollar to five dollars on the back of Tiny Bones because it uh, also uh, forces multiple discard. And then we have Hannah Ship's Navigator, the Therese Nielsen art, which admittedly is gorgeous. Um, out of M25, going from 250 to 14 as a bunch of assholes try to hoard these things or buy them as symbols of rebellion. I'm not really sure which. Yeah, whatever. Garbage. And a Sanctuary Foils out of Apocalypse went, uh, supposedly went from 11 to 65. This is a piece of garbage enchantment that gives you a plus 5, plus 5 power and toughness boost every turn if you have a blue and black blue and a black permanent on the table i just pulled one of these i have like stacks of old foils in these plastic containers and every three months or so i go through them and pick out whatever relevant stuff has gone from a dollar to five or ten or plus and there's no way i buy that anna sanctuary foils can sell for 65 but i bet i can get 20 for one now if people the next next price in line is 50 or 60 and uh, i did pick a couple out of these out of my uh my foil stack today so i'll be able to test this for you shortly all right i'll get gi- i'll give you i mean it, it started at 11 yeah 20 from 11 seems viable again the, the kind um, of stuff you never want to have big piles of sitting around you just want to take advantage if you can at some reasonable price because there's no demand there's no supply but there's also no demand <laughs> so yeah uh of knight's reach uh Eternal Masters foils going from a dollar to six dollars. That's all the new shrines driving all the foils up for the ha- the Hondans and shrines. Uh, I, I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in that deck either, but people will build it. So if you can exit on all of these hype spikes, good on you. Necrogen Miss is the primary mover on the back of Tiny Bones uh, foils going from eight to sixty-five. This is at a Mirrodin, so it's a pretty old foil. Uh, there's no way it's a sixty-five dollar card, but maybe you can get twenty, thirty seems possible in the face of this posted price uh or you can just slip it into your tiny bones deck and and away you go i i pretty firmly suspect that tiny bones has caught people's attention as being cute and fun but uh very few people will actually build and see the deck through so i wouldn't anticipate a lot of staying power in that deck fair enough moving right along to magic online movers the story here this week is that Commander 20 cards that only showed up in treasure chests are just rocket ships. (laughs) The profit has been insane. Fierce Guardianship up 84% to almost $27. Molten Echoes up 150% to $3. Flawless Maneuver up to $8, 225% gains. Manascape Refractor up 270% up to $228. Dredge the Mire went from 50 cents to 226 for 361% gains. 
Cartographer's Hawk, 55 cents to 250 for 365% gains. Cryptic Trilobite from 18 cents to $1.75 for almost 900% gains. And need more reasons to get into our Discord. Uh, our Magic Online uh, group in that specific channel was certainly on top of all of this and was buying up baskets of relevant staples and they are doing very well indeed. It seems like you could probably play magic online for close to free as long as you keep up with a little bit of this stuff. Definitely. That and and for most of the people that are involved in our Discord in that channel, that is mostly the goal. Like they they take a lot of their ticks and get into events free and what have you. Um Yeah. They also tend to be reasonably decent players, so they're also winning stuff, that, that stuff helps. and events, and the combination <laughs> of the two tends to put you in a pretty sweet position. Um, this is probably stroking my own ego, but I would say that the number of people who are deep into Magic Finance but terrible at the game is likely pretty slim. I mean, <laughs> talk to the people that win zero, 0 and 3 in our recent tournament, but sure. The Well... Somebody, somebody has to lose. Doesn't mean they're bad. Uh, all right, so there were some cards here that are not treasure chest related. Magus of the Moon from Future Psych going from just under $5 to about 8 for 74% gains. That's the green-red Ponza deck in Modern that continues to put up results. Season Pyromancer in Modern Horizons, which was one of my picks uh, in paper a while back, in digital has gone from 35 to $50. 40% gains this week. Very expensive card out of Modern Horizons. A little bit mystifying because it doesn't actually show up in that many top eight decks, so it's unclear where all the copies are going. You should have picked it online instead of paper. That was your mistake. Well, I mean, paper is also on track for doing exactly what I said it would, but the digital version <laughs> definitely accelerating. Uh, Kinnon Bonder Prodigy on the back of that Urza Kinnon Yorion uh, Brew. Uh, 573 to 789, 37% gains. There's probably some more left on the uh, vine there, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Lotus Field out of M20, $5 to 659. That's on the back of Pioneer Lotus Breach, almost certainly, 30% gains. The other thing I want to call out is one of the big uh, shorts of the week. Bonder's Ornament was a card we talked about last week as just getting ridiculously high on Magic Online. I think we were mentioned it was up to 32 tickets or something on the back of popper play and that was because it had a relatively low drop rate in the uh, treasure chest there was an update to treasure chest yesterday on monday and they moved bonders ornament to the highest drop rate i have ever seen you are usually looking at a relative drop rate of like a six or a 12 for mo most cards these days they moved bonders ornament to a hundred <laughs> So 10 times more, roughly like 15, more, like more common. 15 times more common. So that, that kicked off an amazing short position where people are, you know, sold their bonders ornaments pretty much immediately at about 30 tickets or so. And they're that they rented from whatever rental uh, facility. And then they're going to buy them back at 15 ticks, 10 ticks and pocket a 10, 15, 20 tick difference per copy. <laughs> Well, that's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just ridiculous. So, uh, and that's what happens when you start with a six drop rate and move it to 100. It'd be like in paper if they were like, yeah, this is a mythic. And then two months later, they were like, nah, everybody needs them. Psych, it's a common. 
That's that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. All right, so let's move all right along here to paper cards to watch, so that we we can uh, get Jason Elton here in about fifteen minutes. Uh, okay. The first thing that caught my attention as I was doing research this week is manifold key, another uncommon out of M twenty of note. It's no veil of summer, mind you. But you can currently get this upgraded Voltaic key for five bucks or so in foil. There aren't that many left lying around, and I could easily see this going five to ten to twelve for like 140 percent gains within the year. Uh, mostly an EDH card. Tons of usages in EDH. There are. This is one of those open-ended synergy cards I am very fond of that just is so easy to find reasons to run. The starting with things like Soul Ring untapping itself to make more mana and just scaling up from there into whatever ridiculousness you're up to. It is almost strictly a imp- uh, strict improvement over Voltaic Almost. Not quite. But it is a uh, very good card. Uh, Voltaic Key obviously has been a fan favorite, especially in EDH for, God, 20 years. Well, I guess that predates EDH, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if, you know, if, if I think five to ten, twelve dollars is totally solid here for a card that's going to show up in every uh, artifact focus stack in EDH for a time to come. Especially since I don't even know, can you get cheap Voltaic keys these days? It was in M11. No, the foils in M11 are ten bucks for Voltaic keys. So um, manifold. Foil manifold keys are a discount. So how is manifold key not a strict upgrade to voltaic key? Uh, manifold key can't untap itself, whereas voltaic key can. So oh. if you have some sort of weird combo sure. where you go off by th- untapping, untapping voltaic infinitely, you can't do that with manifold. Debatable whether <clears throat> that's enough, that corner case is enough to offset the target creature can't be blocked this turn. Now, I think Manifold Key is a better card. However, a strictly better card, in order to be strictly better, Manifold would have to have Voltaic's entire text plus an additional feature. <laughs> okay. That is that is the definition of strictly better in Magic. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Manifold Key is five bucks. Super cheap. <laughs> I think you're, if you're playing any kind of artifact commander in, in EDH and you're not already running this card, you probably should be. Um, yes. So... Uh, go right along with your bad self and those dogs. Yeah, 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 I don't know what caught his attention there. I, I, but it's okay as long as he's only barking while you're talking. The <laughs> listeners don't have to hear it. Uh, I'm going with a cheap artifact myself, which is Mindstone. Um, you know, with Jason coming on, I had to make sure I picked EDH cards. Mindstone is a card we've seen printed a zillion times. There are very few foil printings, though. There is the 10th edition foil, the um, WPN promo foil, which I'm talking about here, and the more recent Iconic Masters foil. Mindstone is in 70,000 EDH rock decks, so a few decks for sure. Uh, it's in both top weekly and monthly uh, decks across the board on EDA track. So, you know, it continues to show up. The art is way better than the IMA foils uh, in the 10th edition foils. The, the w, I should say the WPN promo foils look much better than the other ones. Um, supply is very low. I think there's maybe 15 or 20 copies. And the, this is an old WPN promo. Uh, and as evidenced by the fact that I'm calling it WPN, you can get them for about 10 bucks right now. The 
10th edition pack foils start at like 15 and there aren't that many of them. Uh, and I think this one is better. So the IMA foils would be appealing, but the supply is a little high on those. Um, but I think the WM promos at 10 are probably good to go to 20 just on virtue of them looking way cooler and having very low supply. Yeah. And this was, this was a mystery booster card, but not in foil, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And I also think that while Commander Legends could ostensibly have this card present, I got I get the impression that there's a lot of multicolor in Commander Legends. The nature of uh, commanders tends to beget such things, and it's unclear to me whether they want mana rocks in there that make colorless mana. Yeah, this is not high on my radar for foil reprints. Like, I wouldn't expect this to be in Commander Legends, basically. I don't think that they would put mana rocks in that set that make colorless mana, just as you said. And it's been printed so many times, it's not like it needs to be in Commander Legends. There's also even cheaper copies over in Europe where they don't have any use for this card at all. So that's worth poking poking around at for sure. Uh, Yeah, I like this one. Uh, it's a straight up staple. I I really liked it until I realized it was an IMA. Then I liked it. I still like it, just not quite as much. Yeah, I mean the the art for the promo is good enough to, and the supply is low enough that I still think it can easily shake off the IMA presence. How deep was the IMA inventory? Mm, deep. Okay. I think somebody had 70 copies. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> so there may be some drag there worth paying attention to. If Yeah, if 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 it's I, I looked at a bunch of cards. I don't remember if that's exactly what I was looking at, but it, it wasn't short because if it was really short, I would have been like, oh, you should also look at the IMA foils at two dollars. But it was like, ah, eh, there's enough here that I'm not gonna talk about it as a buy opportunity at this point. Yeah, I think my play here is to try to track down Jap- Japanese DCI copies. <laughs> That will be pretty blingy in a EDH binder, quote unquote. Not that those exist anymore. Yeah, if you could find Japanese copies, that'd be great. But good luck. Um, all right. So my next pick this week is Kinnan Bonder Prodigy, uh, targeted for the long term. You know, twelve months or so plus, but could surprise us and go faster. I, I flagged Kinnan up front as a dangerous looking card. Doubling the mana that permanents make is no joke. And sure enough, we're seeing it top eight in modern. That means it's probably also going to get there in Pioneer at some point. And it's certainly also showing up in Commander. Um, both as a commander you can build around, but also a card that you can throw into the 99 if you're playing in green-blue, which happen to be the two most powerful colors in the format. So a lot of people are. Um, that gives me a lot of faith in, in Kinnan. Um, we, I called out the non-foil regular copies to go 6 to 12 to 15, I think, in our Discord a few days back. And they're already up to like 9, um, probably on that Yorion build from the weekend. So now I'm, I'm taking a look at the extended arts to go from, say, 16 to 30. And the model I would compare this to is something like the Great Henge, which was also available in the $16 to $18 range at one point and is now sitting a lot closer to 30 as an extended art mythic. Keep in mind that while uh, Theros collector booster boxes were printed at a higher volume than Throne of Eldraine ones, it, it very much seems like the Ikoria boxes were dialed back. 
um, because I think that the Theros boxes got glutted in the supply chain and wizards found a happy medium somewhere probably between Eldraine and Theros. And as a result, between that and COVID supply issues, the lowest price for a Ikoria collector booster box right now is somewhere in the like 230 to 250 range, as opposed to Theros collector booster boxes being available as low as 130 or 140 at their lows. And that's despite the Theros boxes having the backup of the dual foil Nyx lands in every pack, which adds like 30 to $50 worth of value, depending on who you talk to. Um, bottom line is there may not be that many extended art mythics from Ikoria hanging around. Uh, less than there would have been without COVID, less than there would have been had there not been, uh, had the Theros boxes not proven to be printed at too high of a level. All of which makes me pretty confident that Kinnon's going to get there in extended art, and I'm happy to be picking up as many of those as I can. I can definitely get behind this. This card is very potent. Um, you know, I don't need to sing its praises too much. It's showing its chops in competitive magic, which isn't surprising because it's a, a great two-drop that's going to um, excel your game quickly. In EDH, it's going to be phenomenal because all of those rocks get so much better. Uh, the big ability is fun and splashy, and the non-foils mean that it is useful in competitive paper events. So while everyone else is looking the other way, these seem like a great buy at this point in time. Now, from a collector perspective, you probably want to be looking at the $45 to $50 foil copies. I'm not calling those out because I think there's a greater chance of the non-foils having a higher ROI, like doing better than double, whereas the foils might only rise by 25 to 30% within the year. Um, they're going to dry up faster, though. I wouldn't call the non-foil supply challenge by any means. I think there's like 50 listings on TCG, so it's going to take some time for the community to chew through those. But if that deck in Modern keeps doing well, there's an, it's entirely possible people will stash some away for future use. For sure. That's a good good opportunity. All right. What about your next pick? So my next one is a card that I wanted to talk about um, because it caught my attention and I was like, oh, this is a, a great way to go. And then I got thinking about it. I'm like, maybe I'm getting fooled here. So I'm going to talk about this with James and we're going to see kind of what his read is. And, and then we'll check in with Jason and, and he'll tell us why we're stupid. Sure. So Alms Collector is from Commander 2017. And Alms Collector is the white uh, white cat with flash. It's four mana three, four. If an opponent would draw two or more cards, instead you each draw one card. So basically anytime someone's about to draw a bunch of cards, you come in and you say, nope, you can draw one card and I'm going to take one and that's it. So it's a very good way of balancing the card draw in white. Um, a useful card. Now, with the new dog and cat commander, Rin and Sari, uh, this is uh, high synergy with that. And while there's not a lot of data on that deck so far, it, I would expect Alms Collector to be a big part of that since it's a very useful card in general and it's also a cat. <laughs> you, so. you mean one of the only playable cards you can put in the deck? Yep, essentially. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's only in about 5,000 EDH rec decks. Which isn't a lot, especially for a card that's, you know, like three years old now. But you have the new commander that'll put some additional pressure on it. You figure it's been getting chipped at. 
And so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go check out the price graph on Alms Collector, right? Because I see that it's like 12 bucks right now with not a lot of supply. Let's take a look at the price graph. It's excellent. You look at prices back exactly a year ago. This card is like $1.50. Was it really? Yes. Now, hold on. So a, exactly a year ago, this card was under $2. And it just has got this nice ramp, right? And I am and I see this graph and I'm like, this is awesome. Like this card bottomed out for like two years. It started the move. Like I wish I had gotten in seven months ago, but that's fine. Like it's really going. And now there's another push on this card's price. I'm on board for this to go to, you know, 25 bucks. And then I stopped and checked and I'm like, well, this was up to, you know, this was up to like four or five, maybe six bucks in early March, but where it really took off was in early April. Well, early April was just as the COVID, you know, the pandemic was really setting in, events were getting canceled and uh, vendor inventory was starting to dry up more. So the jump from six bucks to 12 has happened in the last two months. And now I'm thinking maybe this isn't a $12 card. Maybe this is a $6 card, maybe. But because there's no, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, there's no inventory coming back into the vendors. They're all just sitting out there in people's binders. So the price is getting inflated. And what's going to happen is next year when the GPs start up again, you're going to see the buy list on this card. It's going to be $20, $15 maybe, and copies are going to flood back into vendors and the price is going to crash. So this looks, every number that you look at on this card makes it look like you're supposed to buy this at 12 and ride it up to 20 to 25. But I have serious concerns that if you don't time your out correctly, that additional supply is going to make its way back in the vendor hands and it's going to crush the price. So I'm curious what your read on that is. Because this is a Commander 2017 card that was only available in the cap deck and has never seen a reprint since and is also not a likely priority reprint, I don't think it's likely to be in Double Masters. It could be in Commander Legends, but that goes for a ton of things. I don't see this as being a priority uh, reprint on their radar. Also worth noting that you can get copies below Card Kingdom credit buy list over in Europe. Uh, European copies are in the 4 to $6 range for the most part, and you can get 780 credit with Card Kingdom right now. So you've got that much backing behind you for however long it it dodges a reprint. Now, we are getting two more commander decks in the fall alongside Zendikar 3. And who knows what their themes will be, but something tells me they will be pretty tightly linked to the themes of Zendikar itself. Because if I recall uh, correctly, there are almost no new cards in those decks. They're almost all reprints. So I would guess that they, one of them at least is Lands Matters and the other one might be Vampires. Sounds about right. Or maybe like an Eldrazi-themed commander deck. Okay. Yeah, you'll probably have... Uh, it would be Vampires and the... Uh, oh, shoot. Allies, right? That was the other tribe. And there are no cat people on Zendikar. So no reasons to be che- like for them to be pushing Alms Collector into one of those decks. If, if there was a foil version of this, I'd be so much more... Uh, I'd feel more protected as tends to be the case, but I think this is fine. I mean, if you can snag some of these in Europe and flip them quick to card kingdom, you're doing just okay. 
and well it's not even the reprints that i was necessarily concerned about right like sure it could get reprinted they could all get reprinted you know that goes for without saying it's more the well is this number essentially inflated due to supply constraints and are you know what are the odds that this this and probably many other cards look a lot better right now than they would because the supply into the vendors is is pretty tight. Now, the other side of this is, yeah, supply into the vendors is really tight, which is dramatically increasing card prices, and maybe that's not sustainable. But there are no GPs for the rest of this year. It's not a situation that's going to change any time in the next six months. So maybe it's totally fine to get in on this stuff with the expectation that you're trying to sell it by next next winter, essentially, um, before spring 21, you know, roughly when we might anticipate more GP showing up and these inventories starting to fix themselves, essentially. Like, maybe you can go in knowing that it's temporary, but you've got time to get back out. Vendors are definitely, like, making a little noise on social that, you know, once things are back to normal, some card prices are going to collapse. And that makes sense. But... I think some cards are much more likely to see that occur than others. So for instance, if, you know, there was a second wave of Ikoria uh, that was released in coordination with a major launch of, you know, relaunch of LGS access. And that ha randomly happened in October. I think that's way too soon, but let's just say that that could occur. Um, and they wanted to make sure people had, the cards they were going to need for standard in hand. So they pushed some more Akira through the pipeline. And so, you know, you're, a lot more people are going to have Kin and Bonder Prodigy in hand in October. I think that's the kind of card that's much more likely to be suppressed by a return to Paper Magic, as opposed to this card that was only available in Commander decks. And people that bought the Cat Commander deck probably still have it together because they bought it for a reason. And... So there's no other source for these. I think this is the kind of thing that comes into buy lists very infrequently, I think is what I'm getting at. Okay. I mean, if if that's your read on it, that's fine. And I'm I, and I can buy it buy it, uh, because I genuinely wasn't exactly sure how to feel about it, but I thought it represented um a good a good discussion point. But it sounds like you're basically on board with with the card as a pick, or at least with with the idea of not being scared off by potential inventory weirdness due to the pandemic. No, I first of all, I I think the the primary factor is that I don't think Paper Magic is going to return until maybe Q two of twenty twenty one, and and if that's the case, then <laughs> a lot of cards are going to have a EDH cards are going to have a chance to drain before they ever see any problems from that side of things. And it's entirely possible that some of those plateaus will just be unassailable without a reprint. Um, even if, even if paper magic resumes. Yeah. I kind of wondered about that, but you know, if let's say they have a GP in February of next year and you know, prices on all this stuff have gone kind of nuts and players are showing up with all these cards that they're itching to get out of their binders. Um, and vendors, like vendors aren't going to be able to show up with $300,000 to buy cards because they have had very little business lately. So maybe it's just going to screw up the card pricing really badly because the vendors just won't have enough money to buy the stuff and like move it in the way that they might be inclined to. I don't know. Okay, sure. So there you go. I think we're both on board. Alms Collector at 12 bucks, I think the 20 is probably 
pretty good. You could possibly get more than that, frankly, at the rate this graph is going, because all signs point to this not going, getting less popular in the next three months. All right, my final pick of the week, uh, another extended art, this time a foil, Shark Typhoon is showing up uh, all over the place in control builds in Standard and in Pioneer. I don't know if it's good enough for Modern, but it's certainly good enough for EDH, where it is uh, reported in, I think, something like 1,400 decks so so far on EDH Rec. Uh, again, Ikoria collector boosters, seem, booster boxes seem to be in short supply. Um, so these are currently at $17 as a foil rare extended art. I can see them going 17 to 30 in the mid to long term. Sure. Uh, cards definitely, again, proving its chops. It's also kind of got the gimmick angle, which means that, you know, competitive play aside, you'll have some casual demand because it's, you know, Sharknado. Um, and, you know, we'll do some work in EDH as well. Uh, and if we're talking about Icoria booster boxes being in rough supply, that's a good sign too. So overall, not, uh, not a bad angle here for 15, 17 bucks. So get this. I was just checking out MCM for foil Japanese mindstones, and I found one where the guy uh, posted a note saying, make an offer. So I sent him a thing saying, you know, how about 14 euro or something? Feeling like that was pretty reasonable. Then I checked my secret stash location, the online Japanese vendor that not very many people know about, and they have five copies in stock at $3 US a piece. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty good number. I'm looking forward to the copy you're going to send me because I turned you on to the I will. card. That, that's a fair deal. That's a fair deal. <laughs> I, I think tipping people like that for good information is a great way to build a network, by the way. Um, yeah, we should start a podcast based on that. <laughs> or, or a whole service, as it were. Yeah. So, all right, that's, uh, that's everything from Cards to Watch. Do you have a favorite out of Manifold Key, Mindstone WPN, Kinnan Bonder Prodigy... Uh, extended art alms collector or shark typhoon foil extended art why do i have to go first every time you go first this time i think kinnon is the safest pick here yeah i think kinnon is also very strong uh i do like that card quite a bit um yeah i think kinnon's fair i think kinnon's fair um i will say that uh, a foil extended art at 17 for shark shark typhoon given its play profile is pretty close um, to Kinnon, uh, Mindstone and Alm, Alms Collector have a greater chance of reprint, relevant reprint, uh, and Manifold Key is great, but it isn't uncommon. Um, so, yeah. and it, and it's from the elevated foil print run era. So they're and it's the kind of thing that I, here's the thing with Manifold Key, it's going to show up in Commander decks, but they're not going to be foil, <laughs> and that could go on for a while. Yeah, that there's that risk of it. Uh... I don't know. I, it doesn't strike like I think that's more likely of the cat card than it is something like manifold key. But all right, so let's move right along here. We're going to talk about core twenty one and jumpstart with an eye for commander. Bringing on in uh, longtime MTG Price Pro Trader staff writer Jason E. Alt. Jason, are you with us? The way I see it, yeah, you two are with me. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, we're following along in your shadow, that's for sure. It's like the Watchmen comic or movie, Watchmen media. <laughs> the media that involved the Watchmen. The show, which pretended the Zack Snyder movie never happened, which I didn't think I would appreciate until I saw it. Everyone's... I was like, yeah, I'll I'll take Giant Squid B 
being real in this universe for that um, sex scene with Hallelujah playing in the background never having happened. <laughs> that went that that went on forever with the least sexy male lead of all time. <laughs> Owl man. He's like, I don't have to take my shirt off in this movie, do I? And they're like, Don't worry, nobody Holy wants to. Holy shit, do honey, that. I'm a little gay for Owl Man. It's like <laughs> Batman with the nipples. He has my body type. <laughs> okay. I was like, I could be a superhero if I just had more money. I like the idea of a pudgy Batman. I'm sorry. That was that was somebody who was great that like the only superhero to lose their power. Batman is the only superhero who would lose his powers to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I ran a, a Twitter poll today asking people if they even buy magic cards that aren't to do with EDH anymore. And we don't have final numbers, but suffice to say that our suspicions seem true. It's at least with uh, the 5,000 or so folks that, that follow my account, it seems like EDH is leading the charge. And I think that most of our pro traders will agree based on their recent sales that EDH are, cards are the saving grace. We've got Jason here with us to uh, talk to us about Core 21 and Jumpstart. We now have the full sets revealed, all sorts of interesting cards on the table. And we're trying to sort through here which of these are going to be the most played in the Commander EDH community in the coming years. Yeah, that doesn't matter what you just said. You don't think so? I don't. <laughs> we'll talk about it, but. I never made more money speccing on EDH finance than when I ignored new cards hmm. and focused. It's like, how much is Tiny Bones going to cost, Jason? I don't care, but you should definitely go through your bulk and pick out bottomless pits. Like, I, I don't think I can make money guessing what new cards are going to be worth themselves. Um, so I, I tend not to try, but like, since that's what we're doing here, um, and we can't spend the entire time talking about how many juicy reprints are in these two sets because how many juicy reprints are in these two sets? That's it's a, nuts. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, just stuff that like, and, and we're getting another commander reprint set where they're finally going to reprint Cabal Coffers, sell them now. Um, everything that people have asked for they're they've gotten in 2020, except for but a vaccine. But not the Fetchlands. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? It's it's so funny when people say well, they're not giving us the reprints we need when they're talking about five literal cards. It's yeah. like I don't play EDH. Okay, cool. Go buy a bunch of eleven dollar crater hoofs and then trade them for fifty in a year, and you have a set of fetch lands. Like this isn't hard. <laughs> like I don't understand. Your LGS will give you fetch lands for crater hoofs like in a year. Just this is so easy. Don't complain about not getting the reprints you need when you're getting the reprints everybody wants. What's amazing is people who, if someone complaining, I want fetchland reprints and I don't play EDH. What the hell do you want fetchlands for then? What are you are you playing Legacy? Guess what? Every other card in your deck is more expensive. Are you playing Modern? Guess what? Dead format. What do you want this card for? If not EDH. And and who's playing Modern or Legacy that doesn't have fetchlands at this point? I mean, there are there are certainly yeah, I, some yeah, new players that join every year, but I would guess that the the majority of folks that show up at Paper Magic are relatively well entrenched, given that those neither neither modern nor legacy are onboarding formats in the slightest. So, um, I, I do want to double back though on a comment you made, Jason. If we're talking about how it doesn't really matter what Tiny Bones can get to, because it's all about the cards that Tiny Bones needs to be a deck. 
we're still in in some ways predicting whether tiny bones will be popular though right because for bottomless pit to move you still have to people have i mean we might have an initial wave of tiny bones moving some cards here sure but for any amount of sustain tiny bones still has to actually get played so if you're not familiar with my um my series on mtg price <laughs> and you're a long time listener to this uh, podcast first of all how dare you um, second of all, I write an article where I use EDH rec data, um, to basically predict what's going to matter more than other stuff because EDH rec just ranks the stuff, right? It's like, well, this many decks use this, this many decks use that. This is probably going to be a better card. I predicted a lot of stuff. Like everyone was like, Vanifar is the truth. And I said, I think Taze is the truth. And Taze is in the top 20 decks in the last two years. And Vanifar is played, built less than Nikia, I think, which doesn't even let you play non-creature spells. <laughs> so um, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at reading the tea leaves on EDH rec. And some people are like, you just like EDH rec because they pay you. But no, they pay me because I used EDH rec. I've been writing this series long enough that the guy who runs the site was getting pingbacks in my articles, and he was like, oh, this guy writes about our site a lot. So that's how I got offered the job to EDH rec. So I've, I've, I've thought it's been a good data source forever. So We don't generally yes. do the paid advertisements in the middle of the cast. Usually those are bookended. Well, uh, like, I don't know what what <laughs> advertising for EDH rec really does. It's sort of like, <laughs> put your deck anywhere, we'll find it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, you'll, you'll get... you'll cert- You'll certainly get, well, the magic community will certainly find out if you put your dick in the wrong place. That's been proven true this week. The Got him. The thing about EDH rec is you're not going to get any argument from us about the importance of that data because without it, people would be flying blind a lot of the time. Um, no, It would be like the first couple articles I wrote where I'm like, oh, there's a cleric commander finally people have said they want clerics here are all the foil clerics and then travis bought them all and then everyone's like oh we don't actually want a cleric commander we're building i lead just like a life gain deck and i was like that's the last time that i'm gonna do what edh players say they want and i'm gonna look at what they're actually yeah and even and even long after you had established the you know the rules of engagement uh i remember distinctly you telling me not to buy foil cat cards on the last nonsense i think it was that 2017 cat deck but uh lo and behold wizards decided to go after pet owners this year so looks like some of those are going to pay off you did it <laughs> no bad specs. there are no misses there are yeah. only there are no misses there are only longer term exactly. specs so yeah i have said that on this cast plenty of times always in regards to my longer term <laughs> our own mistakes <laughs> yes so so you weren't wrong i was temporarily right for three years <laughs> And then everyone building Ren and Stimpy is going to want those foil kitty cats. Wait, is Ren and Stimpy the name for Ren and Siri? That's what I'm calling it. I'm sure that's where they got it. As soon as I said it out loud, I heard it. I'm like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, they they think they're being clever there. All right, so here's what we've done here. We've put together some rough-hewn lists of cards that matter from Core 21 and Jumpstart, um, separating out the reprints from the new stuff, And we're going to try to talk our way through some of these and see if Jason even remotely agrees with the order within which they've been placed. 
So we're going to start with the relevant rares and mythics from Core 21. Uh, and it's probably important to set the stage here. Core 21 is a summer set, which even in the best of times, we tend to look at as a especially good opportunity um, on the basis that the core set is generally expected to sell uh, worse than all of the other main sets for the year. And that tends to mean that cards that are overlooked up front, especially, you know, EDH-focused cards that might get real cheap in Europe and whatever, uh, Japan as well, um, might end up being, you know, huge, you know, brick-to-buy list opportunities for our listeners. And now on for 2020's version of the set, we are compounding that with, you know, a global pandemic. So... Thinking goes that the Core 21 print run is probably fairly conservative, that the uh, collector booster boxes for Core 21 are even more conservatively produced, uh, and we have plenty more products still coming down the tracks for 2020, all of which suggests that there are going to be some big wins here. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the overlap between casual and EDH is something that people aren't really good at ferreting out because people don't who don't think like casual players can't even if they do play edh um and even if they do play edh casually it's really hard to figure out what's going to get played unsleeved on kitchen tables yeah that that kind of like all we can say is there's overlap here anytime there's a vampire we're like vampires manage to casuals but we don't know how much we just know that our stuff that casual players like insulates our specs from being wrong no sorry not wrong longer term (laughs) i think vampire my life gain cards tend to not be longer term specs they tend to be correct mentioning something like vampires i think is is a good highlight though because if you're trying to ferret out the casual scene a major cultural touch point like a vampire which has the ability to attract attention you know, in a gaming store, even for someone who doesn't even know what magic is, they could still be a big Twilight fan and spot a vampire in a case and be like, oh, cool, what's that? Uh, and that holds true for pet owners. It holds true for dragon lovers. It holds true for, you know, people that are into elves or, you know, have a thing for Lord of the Rings or whatever. And there's a reason that all of this stuff gets built into the narratives and themes of Magic the Gathering and continue, you know, there's been all sorts of cultural touch points that have been built into the game uh, some more subtly than others. I mean, it's it's not a huge coincidence that Godzilla was the follow-up to Japanese War of the Spark targeting the Japanese market, if you know anything about Japan. I mean, what was the first expansion set? It was existing right. lore. They, they sort of never really <laughs> did that again. Well, they did like a little bit of stuff in the dark, but I mean, they're mostly like, I think we're going to have to do our own lore at this point. But... Yeah, that's that's something they've from day one they've they've thought was important to get people on board and get them stuff they recognize. But plus, I think Aladdin is underplayed. In EDH. <laughs> but they've also spent twenty five years, you know, weaving their own lore, but borrowing heavily from the zeitgeist. I mean, the Oath of the Gate Watch was not. Uh, it's not a coincidence that Avengers and the you know the dominance of Marvel at the box office was intertwined with with the releases of the day. And when Twilight was a big deal, the movie theaters, we were getting, you know, returns to Innistrad and so forth. So there's been lots of touch points uh, where they've tried to cross the streams. And, you know, we're seeing more of that over time, not less. 
Well, it's pretty easy to uh, do your job too when you're letting mass culture give you the content that you need. Yeah. All right. So, Jason, let's talk about some of these cards. Is is chromatic ori the most important mythic in Core Twenty One for commander purposes? I'm wrong sometimes, but I'll be shocked if this card matters. Interesting. Go on. I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> James cannot wait to hear more about this. <laughs> so the number one deck, I think most of the days this week, I check track every day, but um, if you don't, depending on which day you went, maybe you saw Golos Tired Pilgrim was the number one deck. I think Golos could probably make use of this. People are talking about bad two and three card combos to uh to make a bunch of mana with this um using what vectus agents or something to uh yeah to make a bunch of mana you can fil- use as blue mana and just continually tap is that what it is yeah vectus agents gets unblockable or something like that i mean this um people were already talking about generating a ton of mana with um Kinnon, i think and cards like uh basalt monolith like that was already a thing and like monolith moved a little bit but it, it wasn't really sustainable so i don't i think if orrery matters it won't be for a combo it would be just because like you can draw five cards potentially with it and you have another chromatic lantern but like i will be pretty surprised if this is the most played card um because it's, even though it's colorless like it's limited to decks where you're going to draw more than one or two cards for five mana. So I think this is more limited than it's, it's about as limited as a five color card really. So um, I'm not super excited about okay. it uh, personally. Uh, I'm, I'm just, re- I'm very surprised to hear that. I, I went to bat for this card as soon as it showed up. James did not think it was very good. Uh, I mean, I read this as, I mean, it's a, it's an expensive mono rock, no doubt, but, you know, you, it only costs you effectively to the turn you play it. Uh, you know, it's still a chromatic effect, which people are going to like in anything three colors and more. And then you're just making mana every turn after that. And then I don't even feel like the card draw is the relevant card text. It's just a nice also ran. Is it just too expensive to matter as a mono rock? Is that the problem? I think at that point in the game, yeah, like... You want your mana rocks to, like, get you to five mana. Like, getting from seven mana to 12 isn't really that hard. <laughs> That's not, like, a thing you need to dedicate a card to. Um, I think it's... It, it, yeah, go ahead. I'm actually ahead. somewhere in between you guys at this point. I, I was As Travis said, I, I on first touch, I was unimpressed. Uh, and then when I thought about it some more and looked at other people's comments, I figured this is probably, like, a mediocre card in terms of its power level. But it might have enough showcase appeal that as a Somerset mythic, especially during COVID, it may just not exist in sufficient quantity to meet demand. So I have I have been picking up copies of this between four and five dollars in Europe, and I think I've got about 20 of them on pre-order at this point. I've stopped there because I'm waiting for early EDH rec data to <laughs> to pro- provide additional guidance. But I, I'm curious. I, I still I don't think it's the I'm not certain it's the top played mythic anymore but i think it's still probably top three or four in the set now you can compare this to something like dreamstone hedron this is much better than dreamstone hedron okay but the decks that play dreamstone hedron are kozilek also kozilek bosch emmercool ulamog karn colorless decks 
Kirkesh. Yep. Right. Or decks like Thanos, Sahili, Blue Braids, Muzio. So you don't have a ton of five color decks running a, a rock that taps for three colorless, obviously. You know, you, you need some colored fixing. And this does that. So I, I'd be interested to see if some decks other than the decks that like we can make a ton of true colorless mana real easily to to ramp to Dream Stonehedron. And that's somewhere along our curve because we're playing a 10 mana Kozilek or a different 10 mana Kozilek or a 13 mana Emrakul as our general. Um, but like every every deck that wants to run this, the commander costs less than this. So I, I don't know why you're bothering. Interesting. So put the EDH rack number out there for us for a year from now. How many how many decks do you see this reported at a year from now? Um probably under 5000. Yeah, I am with you. I think it's like I'm guessing 3600. Something like that. Like a a, mod, a modest to moderate amount of play. But I Well, you're saying 3600, but my under five thousand guess looks like I didn't say anything at all. <laughs> well, I think, it, but that matters because if it's a really great card, it's going to be above five thousand these days based on your stat pulls. Like if you if you look at the War of the Spark numbers from a year ago, that set is chock a block full of EDH staples, and there's tons of stuff closing in on ten grand or over ten grand already. War of the Sparks just it's nuts. It's, it's one. Of, it's such yeah. a good set. It's so good that every card in the set is worth three dollars. <laughs> But like that won't hold. Something's gonna go to ten soon. So it's like, what is it? It could be any number of thirty cards yeah. on the basis of EDH. And it, if I had to guess, it would be Nar. I, I so for record, I'm looking back at Core Twenty, which had Golos in it. Now, Golos is only in twenty eight hundred decks, but I mean, whatever. He's five color. So the highest artifact from that set is icon of Antrust ancestry at 6300 cards uh and then the mystic forge right behind it at just over 6000 i'm i'm going to put chromatic ori at this time next year I, i'm going to say 8000 mm, but bold i want i want an asterisk because the card will see less play if people can't get their hands on it because it gets expensive so I'll take anything over 5,000 as a win. So Jason, I'm going to try to guess what I think you think the top mythic is. Is it Mongara the Diplomat? Um, are we talking new? Yeah. Non-reprint? No reprint. Um, I'm not too excited with any of the mythics that are new. So it could be Mangara. Like... I, I think people are underestimating how important the um, the third ability is. Like, everyone's like, oh, they have to attack you with creatures? That sucks. But, like, whenever an opponent casts their second spell, each turn draw a card. That's going to happen a lot. On average, one and a half times a turn cycle. Yeah, so for the record, so Mangara probably... is three and a white for two, four lifelink. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two more of those creatures are attacking you and or planeswalkers you control, draw a card. So it's got a rattlesnake effect going on and then whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn draw a card um yeah i I think um people in the mtg price discord might think i think the cards i'm rating it too highly but i I think it's probably going to be more important than orrery despite the fact that it can only go in white decks 
I, I had a similar read that the second half of that card was more important than the first. That that it's it's not the attacking component that people care about. But the thing the thing here with this card is that white is so bereft of draw effects that white decks were playing like mind's eye sure. like recently right. like playing bad spend quite a bit of mana to draw card effects or they were trying to make their draws better by thinning planes out of their deck and hoping that meant they would get fewer lands on their one drop return god mind's eye is bad now it's that used very to be EDH bad. staple man <laughs> so did duplicate and remember they're like yeah oh, we know what edh players like you like bad side duplicate we're like please yeah. stop giving us masterpieces of cards we played three years ago could you get some current data please <laughs> yeah. i mean and that's and that's amusing right because what other than edh rec can wizards even be looking at for commander data that we don't have access to i guess they can look at how individual they can't even look at individual deck sales because they don't sell I them think, that way. I think Gavin does a poll on Twitter and he goes by based on the results. Like, they ca- they call the guy with his finger on the pulse of EDH, Rock Sheldon Menenry, or on the <laughs> yeah. If there's anyone who knows EDH, it's Sheldon Menenry and what players want. That guy knows how to ruin my day specifically. <laughs> I was like, I'll play my Estra deck. It's fun. It's uh, it's treachery tribal. Ha <laughs> ha. And he's like, I main deck or a thief. And I was like, Of course you do. Of course you main deck or a thief. You think that coalition victory is bannable. Like <laughs> So I mean, I guess I guess now that with COVID and a lot of people moving their EDH to Magic Online, they may actually have richer data than they did six months ago. Um, when that community would have been, you know, a fairly poor representation of, of Commander as a whole. But they may well have solid data coming out of there now. I just I, they could ask me. Sure. They're good. I mean they probably just look at the same data we do um yeah do you do you think wizards will ever put you on the payroll no do you think you're like soft banned yes me too i think we are too no we definitely are the all right so mangara (laughs) the diplomat price 18 months out what is 18 months man i don't even know if america is still gonna be a country in 18 <laughs> months you gotta shoot you gotta aim a lot lower than that uh, it's a little tricky because the, the uh, like the, on the uh, let me preface this any discussion of price 10 bucks sure let me, 10 bucks is probably the ceiling and like if you look at the 10 dollar mythics from 2020 it's basically just yarok and yarok is built as a commander a lot so, like, you look at something like Kaikar that is the third most built commander. That's a mythic. That's still, like, four bucks. So, I think the absolute ceiling for Mangara is ten. Like, what's the what's the, even the most expensive card in Core 2020? Is it ten bucks? It's a core set. Core, core had a lot of hits, so... That's... it. When it has a lot of hits, every card's five see. bucks. Like, Agent of Treachery, I think, is the most... Ex- <laughs> for a while, there was the most expensive card in the set. Like, Field of the Dead and Agent of Treachery. I was like... Agent of Treachery is an EDH card. I'll, I'll I'll wait for it to get cheap and pick it up. And they're like, "Ah, just kidding, idiot! This is standard yeah. playable." It's a Johnny at twelve bucks. Oh, and Soren's like ten. Wow, yeah. So Planeswalkers, um, Soren, a Johnny Soren Chandra, and then Yarok is in fourth. So I think the most expensive and, and Bala Summer is fifth. <laughs> I, I mean, I think Core twenty twenty one has better mythics than Core twenty twenty. 
because Massacre Worm is a great reprint, Grim Tutor is an amazing reprint, and then you have EDH stuff like Discontinuity and Fire Emancipation. And Fire Emancipation is like a casual card. Plus you have five Planeswalkers, one of which is absurd in EDH, because you can activate Teferi on other people's turns. So you can, like, ultimate him. You, like, go around the table twice and ultimate him. So... Um, I think there are better mythics. Like Baneslayer Angel is a bad mythic in this set. <laughs> now, Mangara doesn't have any fancy versions other in the regular boosters. He's only got extended art and extended art foil. So that's probably where my money's going to flow when Europe decides that they can't sell any and drops the price because pre-order pricing's too high. Yeah. Um. I like I, I actually like quite a few mythics. Um I don't Mangara could be the most expensive, but like the set has Grim Tutor in it. Now, how playable do you consider Grim Tutor from an EDH perspective? Because people It's hard to say because all the data is predicated on it being like a two hundred dollar card that nobody has access to. So when you have a card that, like, is just priced out of everyone's deck, you have no idea how desirable it is. I think it's like, if Grim Tutor gets cheaper than Demonic Tutor, like, I think it'll get played quite a bit. And Demonic Tutor is, like, there are a lot of versions of it out there, but it's still, you know, pretty expensive. I've been comparing it to Beseech the Queen, because for three black there, you're pulling a, a card out... Uh, equal to or less than the number of lands you control, which I roughly equate to the three life loss. That That's not, that's not a bad comparison. I think Grim Tutor is not really an EDH tutor, but I think um, if it gets cheaper than demonic, people might play it as just a bad demonic tutor. I, I mean, diabolic tutor is extremely popular, but you don't have to pay any life for one more mana. Yeah. I eh. I don't know. I feel like Grim Tutor. I I don't think Grim Tutor is a good card, but at the it's same not. time, people love these tutor effects way more than they should. They're playing the worst type of EDH, but they're still playing it. Sure. Look at me for three life. I have a ninety-eight card deck. I did it, Mama. Yeah. Grim Tutor is a case where I'm more than willing to let the market lead me to the data. I I didn't order a single Grim Tutor copy to date, um, and I have no interest. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pay buy less when people crack them in yeah, booster drafts. Want, well, if there are any booster drafts, but the, I just want to see peak supply pricing, and then I'll figure things out from there. The I I, I have no. It's, it's in not guessing. a good card, but like it's it's also one of those cards where people are like, oh, I've always wanted sure. a Grim Tutor, and, and the showcase art is gorgeous. So the showcase copies may well be a solid target because they look amazing. There's some really good art. I'm not. I don't care. But, like, some of the art in this set is fantastic. Like, I'm looking at Indulging Patrician, and I'm like, do I want the original on this? Like, is that something I want to drop five grand on? Like, I like I like that so... But, like, if it's if it's not up, if it's on my wall, not in a card frame, people are like, oh, cool, what's the weird neon <laughs> vampire rule 34 you got going yeah. on there? I... I have an opinion that the magic community is not ready for me to unleash yet. Okay. On this topic. Okay. <laughs> are, are, is it a secret? Do we have to guess? No, I'm not. I just I felt like I was inclined. I just felt like I. Had You're to baiting say the it. hook for episode like, two ninety. 
if, if we are we are I, I on on days where I was angry, I started to type it into oh, my wow. tweet text box. I'm like, I cannot. I'm not putting this into the public. It, Twitter's world. had a hard time this year, Travis. Just put that that weapon back yeah. in its case. Our community has suffered you significantly. Know. The last thing we need is to fight about All right, this. Let's, let's move on to talking about some of these very, very tasty rares. Can we talk about some obvious stuff? Like, how about Double Vision, Jason? Doesn't this just go in double every vision. every is it deck ever? This doubles every spell you cast. The first. It kind of sh- Like, look at Thousand Year Storm. That was like a bulk rare. And I was like, I think this is pretty good. And now it's flirting with $10. So, like, do not underestimate stupid cards like this like you're gonna miss occasionally you're gonna be like i think what sunbird's invocation or something like that is gonna get good um i think thousand year storm the fact that it's mythic matters a lot to its current price but like you can only play a certain number of these but man i think this is probably i think if you got a sunbird's invocation you'd probably take it out for can we agree that pre-ordering these at 30 cents is a no-brainer um yeah because it's hard to imagine this is a bulk rare especially this will probably be the least bought core set in history there's also two things about this card i think people will get wrong one that makes it seem better than it is and one that is the opposite whenever you cast your first your first instant or sorcery spell each turn copy so you don't get to do it over and over again and go crazy but you do get one free copy per turn but it is per turn not just your turn so you can do it on other people's turns as well, which might mean with with the right deck where you're, you know, casting Calamax, which is the most popular core or uh, commander 2020 yeah. deck right and now. And this slots right in, right? So I, I figure this is a, a yeah. thing where people are going to get this under a buck and buy list it for a double, triple quad like a year out when things have recovered. Yep. And plus, people, if you buy bulk rares, people are going to just give this to you for eight cents. So the other one that strikes me as the same kind of thing is uh, Veto Thorn of the Dusk Rose. Do we agree that this just slots into every life gain, uh, life loss matters type deck in, in black? It's a life gain vampire. This is casual gold. Right. Plus, it's got like a weird name. Everyone's like, ah, I'm the first one to call him Veto. Hey, it's me, Veto. <laughs> and do like a dumb voice. Everyone's like, I, was, I thought of that. <laughs> Everyone that works says I should do stand-up because I am hey, Vito. Hey, I'm draining life over here. <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. Two, two and a black for a 1-3. Yeah. Legendary creature, vampire, cleric. It's a cleric, Travis. Running by some. Uh, whenever mm, whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. And then for three and two black, creatures you control gain lifelike until end of turn. I bought a whole bunch of these on pre-order. It just seems like a slam dunk within a, you know, worst case two, three year time frame, but probably sooner. It's, um, it's got a lot going for it. Again, we have no idea how many people are playing on sleeved kitchen table magic, but you got to imagine there's a, enough overlap that like this is EDH playable plus. That's what I consider the casual junk. I'm like, it's EDH playable, so you assume everything you would about an EDH card, but then you just assume that a non-zero number of copies are going to never be seen again. Because people who play on sleeve do not buy lists, so these cards will not recirculate. They are gone forever. And however... As soon as a card hits a kitchen table, like it's, it, it's gone forever. Yeah. And however you draw those Venn diagrams overlapping, the bottom line is that Sanguine Bond and Exquisite Blood... <laughs> 
have demonstrated the popularity of this theme. Uh, and finally getting that reprint exquisite blood because they're like, this will ruin whatever set it's in. And then they're like, oh, we finally came up with a set where we don't care if it's ruined. Although I'm pretty pleased to have discovered along the way that they decided that Jumpstart doesn't get any foils. Because <laughs> my foil exquisite bloods are looking real nice right now. The um, So how about the dog and cat cards? How much of a believer are you in the uh, buy a box, Rin and Siri? Um, I think that'll be pretty I legit. I think so too. Um, cause I, it just, I, I think we've hit critical mass. Yeah, on, I, I think, think we've hit critical mass. It's on, collectible. On the yeah. It's collectible and playable. Now that's not to say that I think the deck is good because there's no, so much trash no. you have to put in the deck to make it work, but it feels like the kind of thing that people are going to build for their significant others and, or just build cause they like pets and, it will never be top of their quiver, but they will own it, and they will have bought some of the relevant cards along the way. And they'll never take it apart, so those those cards will disappear. Yeah, because it's got a nostalgia value once you've built it. Like, I'm not going to argue that people are going to build this deck, right? Like, that'll happen. People will build it for their girlfriend or Boyfriend, you know, whatever because they want her to play. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm operating on the fact that we know men are more you know, the larger market here in terms of who buys cards. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. Um, it's going to happen. But I look at those cat decks from two or three years ago, and it's not like the internet suddenly fell out of love with cats, right? That's And I feel like they occupy a very similar sort of gimmick novelty space. And it's not like the cat commanders are bad either. There's a couple good choices. And but you don't build them as a cat deck. You build Miria as a like, hey, I'm going to mess with combat sort of a deck. Sure, sure, right? Like, and I don't, and same with like Marisi, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think if we're talking about these decks is already having, you know, we the person building them knows they're not at the top of the pile. Who cares if the commander's not that great? You're not building it for power level. You're building it for fun and gimmicky, and you like that it's got cats. But if that can't matter, I just don't quite see how this is that much different. Yeah, look, it's got Shiro on it too. Like, yeah, but okay, I guess I I don't see it consistently moving cardboard. I could I I mean I could definitely be wrong on this. This is just a so. Gut so feeling. here's the last time that was definitely where I was at come last winter. And then OMG Kitties, the secret layer drop from November, absolutely destroyed my expectations. That thirty or forty dollar pile of cardboard is now now has just eight copies left on TCG Player, and the ramp ranges from one hundred and fifteen to two hundred and fifty. Okay, I, I I remember that, but what if just nobody bought it? Yeah, well, that's true. Like, but those, but the market still had to decide then- they had FOMO to clean up the rest. Which is fine, but how many, but you know, if they only sold like a couple hundred boxes of that, <laughs> maybe, right? then I like, guess. yeah, it's, you don't need, you don't need that many people to want it. Can to, I give you guys what I think is a relevant uh, data point? Firesong and Sunspeaker is currently a buck fifty. Sure. And that is a better card than Ren and Stimpy, so really. It matters who is buying these to collect them. Sure. Um, again, I look at a card like Rin and Sirius. I'm if I tell people what I think the price of this card is going to be, I'm going to be wrong more than I'm comfortable being wrong. 
So what I will say is like cards that are puppies and kitties go in this deck, buy those medium term. You're going to make money. Right. So, so, so that brings me to, I, I don't, I don't even want to talk about the price of Rin and Siri because I don't think it's as good as fire song and Sunspeaker. And, and people bought more packs of Dominaria that or more people went to the store to get a booster box of Dominaria from their LGS than are going to on this, you know, Hmm. most LGSs are having a real hard time getting people stuff. I still haven't gotten my commander 2020 sure. stuff and I pre-ordered. So I think, um, I think there are more fire songs out there certainly, but like this is a buck 50 now and whatever it was at its peak, it's a buck 50 now. So like long-term Rin and Siri only stays above buck 50. If it never makes it back to circulation. And I, I don't I don't think we can we have 170 people selling Fire Song and Sunspeaker and TCG Player right now. As far so. as Run and Stevie goes, I only care about the extended arts because those are significantly more supply challenged <clears throat> and will the, the people that love animals the most, those will become gifts that will dry up relatively quickly. I'm much more interested in the pushed uh, dogs and cats they gave us to fill in some of the gaps in the, what would otherwise have been an absolutely atrocious deck. And it's still pretty challenged. So I'm looking at Aren't I'm the... looking at like pack leader. I can't think of a single dog printed before this year that I would put in the deck. So it's it's sort of like this you're gonna be triggering the cats half of this a lot. Oh, you just think you have to lean cats because there's just not enough dogs? Just because there are good cat like there are there are cats that I would play in an EDH deck. Like Alms you play collector. Alms Collector. Alms Collector, and you play <laughs> Quisalic Pride Mage, and you play you know, uh, Miri and stuff like that. Like, they're good cats. The dogs are bad, except for, like, the ones printed this year. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just going to be it's gonna be a cat deck where the, you just play cat spells and then get a dog I mean, are token. You, the, are the, you, issue, the, so the issue there, I think, is that hounds have historically been more, comp- like, red and competitive-oriented rather than goofy, fun cards. Yeah. Hounds are better in a 20 life format. Yeah. I, I have you have to deal 120 damage to kill people in EDH. It's it's much tougher. I have a feeling that pack leader still goes 50 cents to $3 in 2 years. And the, and the cat too, right? Doesn't the cat uh disenchant on on when a cat hits or something? Feline yeah. sovereign. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty good. So I think both of those are worth a look uh, at their lows. How do you feel about uh, Teferi's Ageless Insight? Is it two win more? This is the legendary enchantment, two and two blue. If you would draw a card, except the first one you would draw in each of your draw steps, draw two cards instead. Is win more a concern in <laughs> Commander? Well, it's more like, can this earn a slot? Or if you've got a bunch of other cards that draw cards that this is supposed to be triggering off of, can you not just rely on those to draw you the cards? Uh, I'm not seeing this card. Teferi's. Oh, the 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 one from uh from yeah, Corset. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was thinking Jumpstart mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, I th- I think it's it's fine. Um, but I I think I would like cards to do more. Like I, I, I think if you're gonna pay four mana for something that like makes medium cards a little better, I, I'm not super excited mm-hmm. about it. 
<laughs> You've just described EDH. <laughs> I mean, ideally, uh, you described playing EDH bulk four, rares, five yeah. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and the the format, like I I liked EDH when Wizards wasn't paying attention because they think, like they know how to sell cards to edh players but they don't know how to be good stewards of the format but they haven't ruined it yet so i'm not like super worried but like this just it seems like it's it's whatever i would rather do something when i draw cards than draw cards like when you draw cards draw cards like that's fine but like i would rather when you draw cards do this so it's worth drawing would you cards. run this in real for instance I mean, maybe, but I don't know how much real players are discarded to hand size. Like, this is a good way to discard to hand size, but, like, <sighs> I wouldn't run this in Calamax, that's for sure. And that seems like a good place to run, like, a Brainstorm type effects. So, um, I think this is just real limited in the number of decks that can go in. It just, it seems like you're like, ah, oh, this is good. And if it's in a pre-con, you leave it in there. But I, I think no one's adding this to a deck. It, like, if you start from zero cards, you're not going to add this. Or you'll cut it, you know? You got 103 cards, this gets cut. So, so uh, I, don't, I, I don't like it as much as um, so, some people. So here's a great, I think, point of comparison. Compare Sublime Epiphany to, to, to Fairy's Angel's Insight. You got Insight, which requires a very specific approach to building the deck so that you can get the max out of having to drop this four drop that has no impact on the board and does nothing for you unless something else is going on versus this card that does up to five things at once counters a spell counters an ability returns up something to somebody's hand creates a token and draws you a card i really like modal cards in edh because you don't have a sideboard so having modal cards means like you have multiple answers in your hand at sure. once and blue does this very well. I like like there there are charms that are playable in EDH. I think that's that's great. You know, it's not like all the charms that were really good in like twenty life formats are not great in EDH. And the people are like, wow, you just killed somebody with Rakdos charm, huh? Yeah, his own creatures dealt him seventy damage. It was awesome. So like modal cards, I think feel like more than one card. So it's almost like you drew an extra card by having this. So like I think Sublime Epiphany is. Um, it's six mana, which is tough to keep up. Like, I'm somebody that main decks Desertion, because I, that's a very 75% EDH card. I, I love I love stealing a creature with Desertion, and I love, like, countering a Wrath or something right. like that. Um, I know how tough it is to keep five up, and keeping six up is very hard, but this is... Um, I, I like this more than I like uh, the Teferi's cards. And they're, and they're both blue rares from the same set, so I'm probably going to load up on Sublime before I'd ever touch Aegis Insight. All right, what about Conspicuous Snoop? Is there enough goblin action with the new revealed goblin, uh, legendary goblin in Jumpstart to get you thinking that some of this goblin hype spike movement is going to be sustainable? I, There are enough different formats that could be impacted by this that I think one of them is going to do it. It might not be ADH because goblins are kind of medium. Because, like, yeah, you get going fast, but, like, if you get Wrath, there's no way to rebuild. You feel kind of like an idiot. Um, 
But if the Goblins player gets left alone, it can get out of hand. Um, Cranko finally got a reprint. That'll be good for people. I just, um, I think it might not be EDH that does it, but like no one's playing modern. So it's, it's really tough to see where this could get there. But I think there are enough different places that want a card this powerful that like something will do it. I really like Snoop a lot. Um, I think it's, uh, I, th I think it's pseudo card draw in like a deck that dumps its hand really fast. Right. That, and I, I think that also has yeah. combo potential <laughs> and in EDH, unlike yeah. almost everywhere else, but vintage, you get to use goblin recruiter. So, and it already spiked Boggart Harbinger because people have figured out a way to Kiki Jiki on like turn three or something right. like that. I saw conspicuous, conspicuous Snoop, and I, I, don't, I guess I don't even really think of goblins in EDH for the most part. It's not a, it's not an archetype I feel like I've ever really seen or heard people play. It's not that it doesn't happen, but it was certainly never rep represented in any of the circles I played in. So it, it didn't even really hit my radar for EDH. It's probably better in other formats, but like I do have a deck that has a lot of goblins in it. I run Chainer with a lot of goblins just mm. cause like you have goblin welder and um, goblin engineer and stuff like that. So it's, it's a, it's a mind slaver deck, but you know, the goblins are very helpful in that and they can search for each other. And it's like, you could recruiter and ringleader and stuff like that. So you always like hit a good st uh, stack with your snoop. So this goes in some decks, but like this doesn't strike me as an EDH card. It just strikes me as a vaguely good goblin that like will have to, displace another vaguely good goblin in a deck that has a finite amount of space and might not get there. And I think the Bogart Harbinger type is a Harbinger Harbinger. It's Bogart yeah. Harbinger. Harbinger Harbinger. Bogger. Cause I know Bogger. it's like, yeah, I know Dillinger was like, it's Dillinger. And everyone's like, whatever Dillinger. And he's like, fine, just <laughs> shoot me in an alley, I guess. So yes, yeah, it's probably Harbinger, but I, I think that deck is bad. So, um, like i think people just if you had them and you bought you sold them to somebody who thought the deck would not be bad um good for you but like i don't i don't see that being like a long-term thing so I'm, I'm not super excited about it and so muxus goblin grandee doesn't ring any bells for you as being a reason to chase after goblins this is the four and two red four four goblin noble legendary creature when Muxus Goblin Grandee enters the battlefield, reveal the top six cards of your library, put all goblin creature cards with converted mana cost five or less from among them onto the battlefield and the rest onto the bottom of your library in a random order. When Muxus attacks, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each other goblin you control. There are enough like um, Cloudstone Curio and stuff effects that like this could be a lot of fun. This would be like, I think it could be a good commander, but I think, I think if your deck is Cranko, like, you just put this in it's there. 99 for Cranko, so, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I kind of I kind of like this card. It's very powerful. For six mana, like, in a goblin deck, you're running out of... Once you get to six mana, you're like, great, I can cast two creatures, but they're all one ones. So, I think having stuff like this at the top of your curve is important. Um, I don't think it'll be financially relevant, because I think a rare from Jumpstart would have to get there a lot to be financially relevant, but like I think it, as it's a playable card, but I just I don't think it'll matter financially 
for the small number of goblin decks in EDH. As dumb as some of them are, like a Cranko deck that got that uh, Terror of the Peaks to add to the pile of stuff. They've got, you've got Perforos and you've got Impact Tremors and maybe Pandemonium if you want. Now you have Terror of the Peaks. Like, yeah, so let's talk. Let's... Just a Cranko deck is just, it's just like I activate Cranko and he puts four goblins in and everyone takes 12. It's nuts. So let's talk about Terror of the Peaks. <laughs> is this a broad, broad, is this the effect, the second ability on Terror of the Peaks, broadly useful enough that this is a target when it hits Peak Supply? I, I like it because it's the pandemonium effect, but it's it's not everybody gets it. Pandemonium doesn't get played because your opponents get the benefit of it. Terror of the Peaks does not let your opponents yeah, use so it. It's, so it's like the it's the first pandemonium card that like So like at a minimum, unless you're playing zero one tokens, it's as good as Impact Tremors, which is very playable. Um it's a body which is as much a liability as it is a boon. I think it's probably more a liability in EDH. I would rather have an enchantment than a creature, you know, because fewer, fewer players wipe all enchantments than wipe all creatures. I feel like all creatures get wiped three times a game and enchantments get wiped once, maybe. So being a body kind of sucks, but I think the fact that it's a pandemonium effect. So like if you played a ball lightning, you're dealing an extra six versus one from impact tremors. I, well, I, you know, I like it. This is a minor point, uh, and I think I agree with you that the the net on it being a creature versus an enchantment is ultimately lower. You know, the enchantment's much more likely to stick around, but at the same time, uh, being a creature means you get to do some really stupid crap with it. Like, put it, like, it's easier to tutor, find, cheat in the play, and then, like, kick right a replication it, and suddenly just level the entire table with one spell where you, you know it's harder to do that with an enchantment plus you could put like a basilisk collar on this <laughs> yeah i i like this one especially because it's mythic and could have been rare um somerset mythic call it like 18 months to two year horizon if i get these dirt cheap europe's currently got them at about seven bucks us us pre-order pricing is closer to 12 so if you're if europe gets down to five euro that seems very reasonable. I think this will get even cheaper. I think this will be overlooked initially. Alrighty. Uh, so we said, how about Garrick's Uprising? The only uncommon that made my list. It's not a bad card. Um, it's somewhat, you didn't, it's, yeah, I think all the sanctums they're uncommon also, but like I think they are more important in the context of like this will be this year's Arcades sure. deck that just like make a bunch of bad cards go up and like ultimately doesn't matter. Yeah, so Garrick's Uprising's two and a green, uncommon enchantment. When Garrick's Uprising enters the battlefield, if you control a creature with power four or greater, draw a card, so immediate uh, return on investment. Creatures you control have Trample. That's a nice one in green. And then whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw another card. Um, this see, feels similar to me to the second ability on Terror of the Peaks in the sense that in the decks that are going to want these abilities, this is going to trigger over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it doesn't say non-token, and it's it's fairly trivial to make tokens that large like the landfall trigger on uh omneth locus of rage for example like every time 
you play a land, you draw a card. It's it's kind of nuts. Is there anything that every time you draw a card, you play a land? Um, I don't think so. Not necessarily. <laughs> not that I it's mostly when you play a land, draw a card. But like, yeah, it's like um decks with uh, divine visitation, for example. Like any time you make any token, get an angel. You draw a card. <clears throat> I'm I'm not super. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what this will do financially, but I, I definitely think this will end up in draft chaff, and that's not correct. And I think foils of this might be. I could see this and ending up one of your, you know, breaking bulk picks. Breaking yeah. bulk picks. Yeah. The the thing here is that under the radar is the fact that in the the current era of Magic product design, uncommon foils that don't get any showcase love only have that premium version there's just pack and pack foil so there are 50 percent more of those foils these days and it's, so it's still going to take time for the market to drain them out but i could see this being three four years down the road these foils being pretty hard to come by given that it was in a under-purchased corset and even if it's not this will be a card that like you realize that card kingdom is giving you 25 cents cash and 37 cents store credit on these. And you're like, I have 25 of these right. in a box because somebody was putting them in the, here's my cards for kids pile. And you just pull these out and put all your own draft chaff with it. And, you know, throw it in that box. Uh, it's just one of those cards that people are going to try to throw away for like a month. Like the whole time this is drafted, that people are going to think this is garbage. So the only other mythic on here that I'm having a little trouble evaluating is discontinuity. We talked about this one last week, but I'd love to hear your opinion. The ability to, to cut off a turn in a format that has tends to run longer per game and has access to bigger mana, and then on your turn to be able to shut off any kind of shenanigans that people are using to try to interfere with you for one and a blue. You think this has a, a role to play? Is this going to find its way into a whole bunch of different blue decks? But this is like exactly the card time stop, but it's sometimes right. cheaper. And time stop is in under 4,000 decks. And it's, you know, I just time stop, I think, is it's fine, but it's also like got two printings and it's two dollars. So I don't I don't think discontinuity is enough better than time stop. That it'll be more than like it's too finicky, too too situational. But like it's 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 sometimes a little bit better than so either you play it as a second time stop or you're cutting your time stop and either way like how many decks is that really like how many like the kind of decks that are running it like if you look at EDH records like Hisoka is the number one deck running it, Metamai, Jinkadaxis like who's who's building a Kehau Manamo historian. <laughs> In the year of our Lord, 2020. Sure. Like, this goes in Thrix. That's the newest deck that's going to run this. Thrix and Kefnet, right? So, understand. like, I like Thrix. And, like, making it even cheaper, Thrix shaves a mana off. So if you play it during your turn, it goes from six mana to three mana. Like, cool, but, like, you ended the turn. on your You ended your own turn. Um there are effects that like you want to stop your turn early to keep them from hurting you. And none of the, those effects are in the colors that currently run time stop. Right. There's like red cards where you're like, well, you die at the end of the turn, but you're in the turn before you do it or whatever. 
stuff like that. Like nobody's really even doing that with time stop currently. So I like, I, I don't want to live in a world where time stop is $2 and um, this card is 10 and we look like idiots for not saying buy this continuity. Like if this is a $10 mythic, I don't know anything about EDH. Does, does Corbin understand all of those commanders and when you rattle them off that fast? Well, if I say the name of a commander you don't understand, that is your answer. You have to understand that I said Hasoka Minamo Sensei and you don't know what that is. There's a reason for that. That's the point. Yeah. So, so well, <laughs> you said like three or four there. And I know if I saw the cards, I would know them. But it's sort of the like, I don't have the active recall on a lot of those. Like where it immediately pops into my Because head. you've never and I imagine- played a game against it. No one is, I'm going to play Hasoka Minamo Sensei this game. Like no one's ever said that to yeah. you. So like, it's not a thing so you need to I, know. Like if I said, a, if I said a commander, you knew, like, you know, Jinka Texas, but like how many people have Jinka Texas decks? So I guess, yeah, yeah I guess the card we got to take another look at as well here is Sundial of the Infinite, right? It's only in 3,300 reported decks in EDH rec and it's an artifact for two. And for one, you can end the turn, but you can only do it on your turn whenever you want to. So you could arguably be using that to counter people's activities defensively uh, that are... But but listen to listen to Sundial. Phage, black deck. Zerillion, red deck. Yep. Perforos, red deck. Cedrus, Grixis. That's the first blue one. There are 245 Cedrus decks in the last two years on EDH rec. Felden, mono red. Gyrus, Jund. Ilharg, mono red. Valduk, mono red. So, like, the blue decks are super obscure like Kamigawa stuff that nobody knows right so like yeah if you could play this in your perforos bronze blooded deck great like you can the sundial but like you're not running stuff that's you're not running the kind of cards that it combos with and so like you could be ending somebody else's turn for six mana but there's already a card for that and it's two bucks i think that's yep. my point fair enough like i think there will be more there will be more copies of mythic in core 2021 discontinuity than there are in printed in champions plus 10th edition or whatever time stop i think they're going to be way more of a core 2021 mythic than printed in two sets that are 10 plus years old so it'll be less than two dollars probably unless somebody like adopts it not knowing there was a card that did the exact same thing the whole time like it's just blue decks aren't running sundial, let alone running time stop. So I don't like this. It card needs to at get all. real cheap to catch my attention. And again, I'm going to be leaning on EDH rec data. If I don't see it show up in the top twenty cards from the set, it's going to fall off my radar in a hurry. But it, like, not everybody's been playing Magic since 1996. That's the thing I got to constantly remind myself when I'm like, well, why this is a better card? But like, nobody bought weatherlight boosters so like <laughs> i get it some of the time is like oh nobody remembers zerillion of the claw because nobody played nobody went to a babbage's in their <laughs> mall and bought a a mirage 60 card deck because they don't know what any of yeah. those words mean i get it <laughs> right so like they don't know what mall means they don't, mall? exactly <laughs> uh so moving right along i i gave i hated someone a ten dollar bill and got a deck of magic cards out of Babbage's in a mall in 1999. And nobody knows what any of that means. And there's, that's why nobody knows their Phage the Untouchable deck should run 
uh, Sundial of the Infinite. I get it. Yeah, definitely bought discounted Ice Age booster boxes at some random bookstore in the middle of Ohio in 1996 or something. So I hear you. Uh, I... I would just want to point out, I think Jason raises a, a good point there that we, we probably don't take into account quite often enough. And I, I would chalk that up to you and I not being elbow deep at EDH tables twice a week, which is we can talk about the utility of a card like discontinuity, but the, the sudden, the, the realizing like, oh yeah, this, this might be useful in EDH. You can use it to do blah, blah, blah. But like, okay, but all of the commanders that you'd want to play that in are the wrong color. Which is, I, Jason was talking about that. I'm like, oh yeah, well, I feel like that doesn't enter into our conversation often enough. So we, I guess we have to try and be better about considering it from that angle. There's, there's also something to be said for car, like there's an angle to discontinuity where it's just not immediately apparent how you're going to use it. Whereas it needs to have a deck first and foremost, like the card needs yeah. a deck. And whereas like something like Vito. And if it has more than one deck, that's better. But if it has one deck, I think... More than one deck is sustainable. So if it's going to go in one deck, that's a short-term thing. Because, like, everybody builds the deck and then a certain number of people take it apart. Versus, like, you know, a card that's going to go in a lot of decks. So, like, a, a wheel... A wheel-type card, everyone's like, oh, this is perfect for Zyrus. But, like, no one gives... No one cares about Zyrus now. And, like, I haven't even gotten my decks yet. Like, I'm done... With a commander I haven't built yet because I haven't gotten the cards and I'm like, I'm already sick of goldfishing that deck. <laughs> so like, yeah, I made a ton of money on Teferi's Puzzle Box because I always make money on Teferi's Puzzle Box. Like I was, there was like a GP Montreal where like somebody had like a stack of probably 40 of them in their like get 10 rares for a dollar bin or whatever. <sighs> And then, and then I was like, ooh, Nekusar just got printed. And then I made a ton of money. And then every year and a half, I make money off of Teferi's Puzzle Box. And then I buy them back when they bought them out because everyone's like, well, I'm bored with Locust God already. And then I just buy them back and then I sell them again. So I, I made the money on the Zyrus cycle, but also no one cares anymore. So like if a card is perfect for one deck, that's great. But if it's not like the best deck... Like a card being perfect in Tesa still means it goes from a dollar to five to three or two fifty or two, right? So if it's perfect for the most popular deck that year, it's still you have six months to make money on it, if that. So it has to go in lots of decks for it to even sure. matter. So a card needs to have a deck first and foremost. That's an obvious thing to say, but like a card kind of has to have yeah. decks. Yeah, we're totally on board with that. So here I mean here's an Which is why I like I like something like terror of the peaks which is broad more than something like discontinuity which is very specific i like mangara which is broad versus um something like uh the chromatic orrery which i think is very specific okay. so i mean is another good so example that that's just how i that's how i feel about it i think i think the cards that are just more broad utility cards they aren't as sexy and they don't spike as immediate as the like oh this is this very obviously goes in the one deck Nine lives very obviously goes in um, the uh, whatever the blue flyer that you make, give other people permanence. But like nine lives doesn't go in enough other decks for it to matter. So like I'm going to buy my one copy of nine lives because I'm going to build that deck. 
because it's hilarious to steal people's permanence and give other people's permanence to other people. I think that's very funny. And it's very funny to kill somebody with Transcendence or Thought Lash or Nine Lives, but it only goes in that one deck, and I just don't think that it's financially relevant. So even cards I'm buying because I'm excited about them, I don't sure. think matter. So how about like Liliana's Standard Bearer? Two and a black, three, one, flash. When it enters the battlefield, draw X cards where X is the number of creatures that died under your control this turn. Is this a good example of a card with a broad usage pattern? Um, there, there are two different ways to use this. There's reactively to somebody wrathing you and proactively to sacking a bunch of stuff. I think this is, um, this is reminiscent of, oh God, what was that other core set card where you would like gain X life and draw X cards where X was the sacked creature's power or something like that? I feel what like am I, I thinking can describe of? six or seven different cards. Ugh, yeah. Um, I think this is playable. But the problem is, like, you're, it's, you're not, you have to have a lot of creatures die. Like, you're not going to play this to draw one card and gain X, and gain one life. Or, or, I mean, draw one card. Oh, it's just draw cards, yeah. Um, so I, th- I think you need to be a deck that's sacks a lot of creatures. Or you're just going to play this in response to getting wrathed and, like, fill your hand back up. I think it's it's probably pretty good, but it's it's a little tricky to play with. And um, the fact that it's a zombie, I think, is is probably the most relevant because zombie decks tend to have good sack outlets and like make a bunch of two two tokens. So um, I think this is it's it's pretty broad, but I don't know how good it is. This is like your hundred and second card in a deck a lot, I think. All right. Is there is there anything from this set we ha- from core side, not jumpstart side, that we haven't talked about yet that you want to flag? Shacklegeist. All right. This is it. No, I'm just kidding. Like, so Shacklegeist was Brainstorm Brewery's uh, preview <laughs> card, and we had uh, Cat Light, who's like the spirit yep. master, do our preview video with us, and she said this card was kind of medium. But then I saw people sort of like this is more of a, um, it's not a spirit but you just put it in a deck with like a bunch of token creatures to use as sort of like um, an opposition type okay. effect. And I, and I think um, Inia's the same guy that you're um, giving people nine lives with. I think Inia's might want that, but I don't, um, I don't think it's an EDH card, but like I could see this getting in a, like a one-on-one format, being able to tap down blockers seems kind of hilarious. So um, that's a card we didn't talk about, but again, for financial relevance, I think, you're going to make more money, honestly, waiting for Massacre Worm, Azusa, maybe Grim Tutor, maybe not. Um, but like definitely Massacre Worm and Azusa and maybe Containment Priest, just stuff that like has an established price and we know what's going to happen to the price. Like the last time Azusa was reprinted, it went from like $55 down to like $25 and then it went back up to 50 Like that happened. That was a thing we saw happen. And there are more copies in a core set than there are in, God, what was it? Masters 25, Azusa was reprinted in? Sounds like, about right. In a 12-month period, Azusa went from 50 to 25 to 50. So I think whatever Azusa goes to, when you're at peak supply and the, the, the price craters, you'll make more money picking that up than you will pre-ordering Hooded Blightfang, hoping some sort of like Death Touch tribal thing gets there. So 
like the kind of finance I want to do on this set is really not sexy. I want to just buy a bunch of massacre worms and wait for them to inevitably go back up because massacre worm is very good. And then they're going to print another card that is like Tasa that people are going to, Oh, 37 out of the 39 decks that were printed last night on EDH rec run massacre worm. Maybe I need one. Like you're just going to make money that way. So like, it's not sexy to not speculate. And just make safer picks. But like with the reprints in this set, they're just nuts. Like, I don't know what Fiery Emancipation is going to do, but I absolutely like just looking at the price graph of Azusa. I know what Azusa is going to do. And I'm just way more excited about that. Plus, this Azusa is like the better art than the existing one. So like that's a factor also. I think I'm just going to buy Heroic Intervention. Whatever it goes to, I'm just going to buy them at the bottom. Yes. Like, the new cards are fine, but, like, there's... We know exactly how many decks are are playing Heroic Intervention, and then it's going to get cheaper and more people are going to have access to it, so it's going to have more demand. So Heroic Intervention can be scooped up at about $3.50 in Europe right now. I think I've already got about 40 copies purchased on pre-order. Oh, it's going to get cheaper for sure. It's... uh, reasonable to imagine that if you were looking at this from a this set from a purely financial standpoint is there a better opportunity than just getting a couple hundred heroic interventions at their low maybe but like that will definitely work like <laughs> i've just gotten i've so fallen out of love with doing the best thing when i know a thing will work it's so boring you know because it's it's boring, but like I just just how I write my articles now. I'm like, hey, I have all this data, and there's nothing sexy about using data, but this will definitely work. It'll work okay, and something else might work better. Like when I miss stuff, I don't care anymore. Like people are like, hey, how'd you miss this? I'm like, I missed it because I don't care. Like because <laughs> I made money yeah, doing something too else. Much to track like everything. You got to pick and choose. There's t- well, exactly. And I, I didn't have the money to put into it anyway because I was doing something else that also worked. Yeah. So like misses don't don't exist. The only the only misses now are putting money into something that doesn't go up ever. But like not buying something that did go up is not a miss that I care about anymore. So like if you buy a bunch of heroic interventions at like its bottom, you're going to make money unless they print it every three months like like they're doing on Black Market. I wrote an article where I was like, Black Market's the card that's going to be this year's Cryptgeist. And then they're like, well, we're going to print it three times in the next 18 months. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> heroic, Man, intervention, heroic Intervention very well might be a card that they like, never again does this card hit eight bucks. They might want to make Heroic Intervention because as much as it's played, and the fact that they realize that green is the most popular EDH color, they might just be like, we're going to print Heroic Intervention every six months. And... You're not going to make any money off of it or like you're not going to double up in that period. There's there's two we've seen with EDH super staples that you really want to have at least a one or two year gap. Uh, Things like soul ring were very reliable when all the decks came out in the fall. You could buy them at their low buy less than four months later and you'd be good to go. I'm less confident about that now that you get decks, you know, twice a year, three times a year. That might have the same play, and it is entirely possible that heroic intervention foils, which are not, uh, uh, could show up again in either the green commander product, or you know they could send out a signal we're going to reprint more stuff more often and put it into commander legends, and we just don't know where their their head is at on that right now. I just, 
as much as they're printing black market, which seems really weird for them to print it that often. Um, I, it, it makes me think some of the stuff that's sort of in that class. And I think heroic intervention is in that class, like has a higher rate print risk than something like Azusa that they're like, well, we'll reprint this every calendar year, maybe, or every like two calendar years. But like Massacre Worm, this is the first time it's ever been reprinted. And it I can't see it getting printed again in the next two years. So and it's what... as much as I I I think some of the the less staply stuff is a little safer. Massacre Worm is also one of the reprints that gets the showcase treatment with the fancy uh full art. And those are in Europe for less than six bucks. <laughs> Which that's gotta be really wrong. Europe just does not care. It's perfect. I love it. Six bucks for full art massacre yep. worms. Weren't those like twenty dollars before this? They were high. Yeah, and there's also foil full art showcase, and and showcase mythics is a bit of a unique angle, and showcase mythics from a summer set even more so. Even if the showcases are a 50-50 drop rate, you're still talking about a mythic, even in the non-foils, that's twice as rare as a mythic. And the Teferis being yep. a core, uh, four times more rare than a given mythic, the, the art variations, is so crazy that Ben over at Star City said they weren't even going to pre-sale them. <laughs> and yeah, and the European vendors have been notifying people that if you order one of them, you get one of them randomly. Because they don't want to pro, because they don't want to promise that they're going to pull a specific one, a specific one, yeah. I'm, which makes sense. Everybody that like has to enter data and like create classifications for cards can't possibly be happy about nine (laughs) versions of the same stupid Teferi. Like, what are they doing? Like, they just hate us so much. You asked if you thought we were soft blacklisted like of course they clearly hate us they made nine <laughs> versions of the same mediocre teferi just to mess with us They're like oh we heard you guys didn't like the little symbol on the mystery booster well guess what was that a complaint i didn't actually know that well like that's just another that thing you have to check like people flip their cards upside down to check the set symbols when they're sorting yeah, real fast I, 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 and oh. then you gotta like flip the cards the yeah, other way to look at the bottom. I don't know if you corner. remember that, Travis, but yeah. in the mystery boosters, they use the original set symbols, so you have to, you have to oh, yeah. the bottom left check. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So the thing I about the Teferi that drew me, made me like triple question mark was, why is there the showcase version, and the borderless version? Like, why didn't they just pick one or the other? <laughs> you still would have had multiple versions in regular booster packs. I got lots of questions. To start with the word why to ask them and like that's not chief on my list, but that's a good question. You know, I wonder if they know why they did it. It just seems like a weird like they've never done more than two versions of a card. And they're like, well, here's nine. Here's nine. It it feels like the the Brad proposal at table when they were product planning was okay, guys. We can test how far we can push the collector whales by giving them, wait for it, nine versions of the card. And Mark was like, I don't know. And he's like, trust me, 
I'm a Brad. I did the numbers. I'll buy him. Who's Brad? He's the guy that runs their the number side of their product team, obviously. Okay. Cause Do we actually know his name is Brad? <laughs> I could I like I like but you then you use Mark, so I'm like, okay, wait, so is Brad J- a real person or is Well Brad's in a, the meeting yeah, with Mark. J- Jason, did okay. the joke fall flat or hit extra hard given that he had to ask if Brad was a real person? It was both. <laughs> Like he didn't get it. Like the joke was on Travis and he didn't get it. So it fell flat. But at the same time, him not getting it was like a second I, secret punchline. There were nine <laughs> versions of Travis getting dunked on here. And I think that's. You said, you said Brad version. And I'm or you're like the Brad in that meeting. And I'm like, oh, so like he's just thinking like, you know, college frat boy. You, you didn't say like, Brad. You said the Brad. The Brad, and then you're then. You're but everyone saying, whose like, name is Brad calls themselves the Brad, so that's confusing. Also, Brad's the guy True. that gives me all the secret hot hot intel, don't you know? Um, but I mean, that really is what they're doing here. I mean, that you don't print nine versions randomly. You print nine versions because they tabled both at on the same day, and then somebody was like, "Let's just give them all of them and see if they buy them." They're they're just testing to see if the if they sell more core product under that circumstance, and it's very specific that they did it with the best card in the set, right? They're trying to figure out if people will go fishing for Teferi's. They damn well better not. Like the best card in the set, it it, it seems like okay in sixty card, but like it just seems really funny that you can activate it on everybody's turn. Right. So let's talk about this card for for a commi- for. It's like on your upkeep. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a card, discard a card, and was like, great. Yeah. Did you pay the smothering tithe mana? Did yeah, I was gonna two? say, did you pay the did you pay the mana? Yeah, and then with you know chain veil out or whatever, <laughs> you can do both on both on, the, <laughs> on each person's turn until you run out of loyalty. Uh, Jeez. Do you, do you think Teferi is actually the most clearly the most important mythic? They think do so. Do you think so? No. Most important mythic. No. You think you think. Which mythic is going to see more more play? That's new, not a reprint. I think, yeah, it probably probably to fairy because all the other planeswalkers are pretty underwhelming. Yeah, like is Basri just like our guy now? Do we just just deal with him now? Is he just like the new Gideon? <laughs> the the Gideon re- replacement. I don't know. We don't, we don't have any narrative anymore because they gave up after they screwed it up so hard. So who knows what's going on in magic right now? You know, I they feel didn't like that every LGS has a guy who looks exactly like Basri Cat, has like the same haircut and beard. He looks too cool to be a magic player. Yeah, that's the guy I'm talking about. The guy who's too cool to be a magic player. You said every guy. Ga- <laughs> oh, uh, I mean... I'm my just here store to spike had... FNM and take home 11 packs. My store had that guy, but then I stopped going to FNM. Got him. All right, so we, we pretty much tackled all the key reprints here. I think the only one we haven't mentioned is Ugin the Spirit Dragon. But between Grim Tutor... Which is like, I don't care about Ugin. Between Grim Tutor, Ugin, Heroic Intervention, Azusa, and Masker Worm, the, the reprint pile was already plenty high. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good set, because like the new stuff... The new stuff doesn't even have to matter for the set to sell well. Yeah, I mean, we've very much given up on core sets being on ramps for new players <laughs> with this with, with this particular <laughs> right? configuration. 
this is just a pile of things to parse. Like every every card's got three sets of rules text. All right, so let's move on over to the jumpstart cards for EDH. It's basically just a whole pile of build around commanders, right? We've got Tiny Bones, we got Bruvac, Amelia, the Blast, Zerzoff, Kel, Scholar of the Lost Trove, etc., etc., etc. Does anybody jump out at you here that you think is going to break into your top 20 commanders over the next three months? So I I don't know if you read my article that I published today on MTG Price. Um, I went through, and we don't have EDH rec data yet, so I like brute force went into Architect and just typed the name of every commander from 20, Core, uh, Core 2021 and um, Jumpstart into Architect wow. to see like the number of hits. And then immediately I was confronted by the fact that like every core 2020 commander has another commander with the same name. So I'm like, Oh, Rada. Great. So I'm getting 319 Rada decks because there are three Radas. Great. So I tried to figure out roughly which one was the most. And I was like, no, well, these are all about 40. If you kind of assume some of these were a previous version of, you know, whatever core 2021 commander already like Mangara, there's already a Mangara. So which Mangara is it? And everything was around 30 or 40 decks. And then tiny bones was 110. So like tiny bones, there were more tiny bone decks built in architect in the last week than there were all Radas ever. And all Mangaras ever. And like, there was a good Rada two or three years ago, you know? So like, Tiny Bones is just far and away the most important card in Jumpstart, and it's making forty cent cards go to eight dollars. Like it's 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 nuts. I I think it might actually be fun to play Tiny Bones past a month from now. So I'm not even saying this is like this set's Zyrus because Zyrus was an obvious deck that built itself, and Tiny Bones is too. Everybody who's building, I look through all 110 lists and everyone's playing the same 100 cards. Like, it's, it's yes, we all have Necrojone Mists. We get it. Like, d- did you guys know that Waste Knot was good in a deck where people discarded cards? Like, it's super obvious, but, like, obvious isn't necessarily bad because consensus is money in this business. When everyone decides that everybody wants a copy of Painful Quandary in their deck, Painful Quandary goes up because, like, Two and a half times as many people are building Tiny Bones than Inia's, which I think is the most interesting commander in the set. So, like, if when I used to be like, this is what interests me as an EDH builder, like, I was bad at specking, and now I'm just like, okay, Tiny Bones is two and a half times as popular as the thing I like, and I'm just going to have to just buy Tiny Bones cards, and that's all there is to it. I wonder if Tiny Bones is to jumpstart what Selvala Heart of the Wilds was to Conspiracy. I was a little surprised Salvala was that much, you know, more than everything else. But like, it's it's possible. Tiny Bones, it's like how many how many booster boxes of this set do you have to guarantee you get one Tiny Bones? Wow, can't be that. Well, you're well, that's a lot because you get a mythic every eight. You get a mythic every eight packs, right? And but this is a whole different situation because you're basically playing Smash Up, so you have to get you're opening a theme and your chances of getting the oh, theme you have to get I'm, it's a mythic so i don't think you're guaranteed it in the theme right um so i have to 
there are, aren't there aren't there like four different like four different packs within a theme yeah there's different variations like and i think the mythics are not guaranteed to show up just because you popped the theme so it's it's pretty tricky like i think that ben at star city figured out that they're more or less equivalent to their normal rarities um but there was a there was a few caveats to that I'm looking at it as like Selvala has kind of an inverse usage profile <clears throat> in the sense that she shows yeah. up in way more decks in the 99 than she does as the commander. Whereas tiny bones might be the other way around. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the only Nath maybe is like the only other deck where I was trying to make people discard per se. And like, I wouldn't add a tiny bunch to that. So this is like probably 100% a commander, but there's, there's Versus some some of the popular stuff like Yarok. Yarok is fine in the ninety nine. I don't I don't know how good Tiny Bones is in the ninety nine. But again, like I don't I don't care about Tiny Bones. I care about the cards that Tiny Bones makes go yeah. up. Waste knots in seven in over seven thousand decks, and I would assume any deck that's playing Waste Knot is conceivably interested in Tiny Bones. Well, that price is already on a lot of the a lot of the Tiny Bones cards are already on the move. Well, I, I'm not talking about pricing. I'm just talking about like how many decks would Tiny Bones show up in that he's not the commander. And I, I'm looking oh, yeah. at Waste Knot and thinking, well, that's in 7,000 decks. And you're probably, you want Waste Knot. You probably want to drink Tiny Bones. It doesn't really matter that he's a skeleton, but it might matter that he's a rogue. Yeah, because hmm. like you're, you're hitting people with like two, two rogues for three mana that like make them yeah. discard. And like it's 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 only good in that deck. Sure, but rogues I would imagine are roughly as popular as clerics. <laughs> Probably more. Looked. So, Probably more. More. That's, but that's I, why I you don't listen to what EDH involved. players say they want, man. You gotta <laughs> you gotta look at what they're actually building. I... Garbage. <laughs> Garbage. So I think there's only two other new mythics that really caught my eye. One is the unicorn. Uh unicorn's insane so i i think people like read the thing where it said just just read the card i guess uh sorry let me find amelia i'll read it it's emil the blessed two colors and two white for a four four unicorn so already those are good stats pay three exile another target creature you control then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control so that's a three colors on the activation that's pretty decent Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay a hybrid white-green. If you do, put a 1-1 counter on it. And if it's a unicorn, put two 1-1 counters on it instead. So the fact that the, there's a hybrid in the activation cost means that this is a white and green commander for, for EDH purposes. Its color identity has green in it, so that matters. Um, and I think people sort of read this and are like, I'm not going to play any unicorns. And first of all, they're wrong. There are some pretty good unicorns for um for like a one one counter theme and also you don't need to have unicorns because it still gets a one one counter it just gets two if it's a unicorn so i think this card is um pretty nuts because like the being able to blink for three mana is is already pretty good because you've got stuff like acidic slime and kitchen finks and stuff like that like uh, i think that's pretty solid but Putting the counters on the stuff when it comes back in is, is pretty It's also dope. got me looking at Blessed Sanctuary, the rare that's not even in the same theme. Uh, prevent yeah. all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and creatures you control. Non-trivial ability. 
And then whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a 2-2 white unicorn creature token. I mean, if you're going to buy one card... Blasphemous Act is a very popular card. <laughs> and you're gonna, if you're going to buy one of these two cards, you're going to buy the other. And it's got a bunch. It's got a bunch of like comets and beautiful unicorns on it. So I have to imagine there's some meme value there as well. Well, they print. Um, they printed the card Good Fortune Unicorn in Modern Horizons. Whenever a creature enters a battlefield under control, put a one-one counter on that creature. So like already, they were planning to do Mel later. I guess I don't know. But like. If if Good Fortune Unicorn were not a unicorn, if it were like Good Fortune Goblin or something, you would still play it in the MEL deck. So like, there are a non-zero number of unicorns. Like, Loyal Unicorn's not bad either. At the beginning of your combat on your turn, if you control your commander, prevent all damage that will be dealt to creatures you control this turn. Other creatures you control gain vigilance. Like, you have a non-trivial number of like, somewhat decent unicorns already. But, like, you don't need them because it's just a white-green blink deck that, like, happens to want to put counters on things. Like, I, I think it's I think it's underrated. Like, the, the pricing is all weird on these sets. Like, every card's over $10, and I don't think that's right. But, like, I think people are underrating this card on the basis is like, I don't want to build a unicorn deck. And it's like, well, you don't have to for this card to be good. It, this I looked at this and I'm like, okay, so you get to have Dead Eye Navigator as your commander in a white green deck, and then there's some other text too, but like that's primarily what you're getting out of this. This this card's funny because even in Europe, the cheapest price is twenty euros. Um, nobody really seems to know what they're supposed to put this at yet, but I wanted to get real low, and then I will definitely be in. Um, I got a breaking bulk pick for a future episode that I guarantee you guys will end up talking about. How about the this beautiful art on Terramorphic Expanse that's exclusive to Jumpstart? Has all five colors in it. In foil. No foil. I, I, I know, but I sure. want it in foil. <laughs> and I'm sure they will give it to us because there's no way they're going to print this art single time. But they were sort of like, yeah, we printed this because Shiva masked. Yeah. Which could be a thing. Who knows? I mean, art's great. It seems like it'd be the, it's going to be the default non-foil version to be using. So, What did Shivam ask for specifically? I think he just like literally just were, said, I want to order Terramorphic. Ah. So. Wait, use your one wish with Watsy for that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You could have had more non-white people on the coverage team, and this is what you went for. <laughs> yeah, that's all well, right. You've made your bed. <laughs> He's a really nice guy. Everyone is awful. Every yeah, yeah. Like I want to be clear about that. He's he's great, and I think he puts up with a lot. And when he took a break from Twitter for like three days, I was like, "This guy's a genius." <laughs> I didn't realize you Turn could just not have your twitter for a while like it took three days for everyone to leave him alone like he's like every time i got a twitter it's 100 notifications it's people telling me i'm garbage and then i went away for three days and it just it was over yeah that's amazing so yeah good for him 
I'm <laughs> imagining Jason like scrolling through his phone and be like, wow, you can just quit Twitter. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and then he just keeps scrolling. <laughs> I think DJ would get more out of it, but yeah. Well, he fights with eggs. <laughs> oh, like he's fool. like the opposite of Shivam. Shivam's like, people want to fight me. No, nope, not today. I got a family and my life's good. See, ya. and DJ's like, I will fight a guy with one follower. <laughs> I'm not much better than DJ, but I, I try to I try to learn my lesson. The um, <clears throat> alongside the Terramorphic Expanse, I guess the themed basics are also going to be breaking bulk. Hot, yeah. There's yeah. there's enough good ones there. The Phyrexian one, the Unicorn one, the one with book books on the an like, island. The dog's head yeah. mountain looks hot. Yeah. Is that like a, the Vault of Whispers that's smashed on the, the Phyrexian one? And it's got a Phyrexian negator or a obligator walking around in front of it, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that, and you only get... I, I'm not even sure you're guaranteed... I can't remember if you're guaranteed one per theme pack. Uh, it seems like you probably are, but I, can't, I don't remember, recall if there's overlap with if the he's... Core 21 basics. If these basics were available in foil. Oh, yeah. Like, that pirate ship basic is, like, how much would that even go for? But like, some of these are just nuts. I, I, I think today's uh, basic finance, basic land finance are long oh, gone. Oh, I, I don't yeah, think because so. Because... If these get cheap, they're going to well, make it nice. I, but it's just, like, nice yes, to buy a list. Like, <clears throat> you, the you, fact you have that to buy- they just don't do anything good anymore because they know that that like they don't want anyone committing to anything. I think the fact that like everybody has a favorite is good because it's, it spreads sure. the money out because like, can you imagine if there was like only one basic anybody can, like you look at the guru lands and people care about those for some reason. And like, those are just nuts because there's they're like a lot of their allure is predicated on their low availability. I get that. But like they're, Imagine being the person that's like, all right, I finished my set of unhinged foil islands. And then they're like, well, here's here's better islands. And you're like, ah, son of a bitch. I like these better. Like, I can't even imagine trying to to be like, these are the islands I'll like forever. The thing about <laughs> trying to speculate on basic lands is there will always be new basic lands. Mm-hmm. I, I, there will always you... be like... These these won't be the only time they do full art or, you know, whatever they'll they'll do it again. Whatever worked, I I don't remember James when you kind of got into all of this, but for a while there was a real basic land finance because basics would hit money right. You had the 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 guru, the unhinged, the unglued, and then that was kind of it. And then the Zenikar full arts came out and that was kind of a big deal. And there was a whole like financial aspect to those. And it was like, they were hitting real dollars. Like even Zendikar bucket islands were like five bucks or four bucks or some nonsense, uh, which is significant. And then, and then they just, just, then they just went bam, 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 bam. And now you're right. Like you can talk about the basics in this potentially having value and there being a market there, but we're talking about buying them at like, maybe five or 10 cents and buy listing them at 15 or 20. Like it's a completely different mm. ball game from what it let, used let me to go. be. Yeah. Or you're just like, someone's like, Oh, I decided that this like 
island from Lorwyn that has, we decided that's where the fairies live and that island is like a buck on Card Kingdom and they're buying it for 35 cents. It's one of those things where you just like pick your basics and you're like, why am I digging through 25 five rows of basic lands for like these couple because i don't set sort my lands who is that yeah. kind of time so it's just sort of like Ugh. if you stumble upon that junk like you've like i'll i i won't put like p3k basics with my regular basics i'll pull anything that's from a weird set you know and just put that aside so i have less to sort through but every once in a while it's like oh this basic is two bucks now and you can buy a list it for 75 cents and then I have fewer cards to dig through, but just I, it's crazy how some people decide, oh, this Mirage planes with a zebra on it is something I need in my life. <laughs> Let's be clear, though. I, I, I think I, the non foil is going to go up because I bought oh, 200. I think some IQ. of these basics are going to be buy listing for one to three dollars within six months. That's yeah. bold. I, they, they're rare enough, like there's because they're theme specific and there's so many themes it's not like a, a basic that can come out of a booster pack. It's not even like the Nyx lands at a Theros beyond death. It's these are significantly more rare and it, I got to double check cause I'm not a hundred percent, but if they are mixed in with the core 21 basics and you're not even guaranteed a basic per theme, it's even, even crazier, but. Oh, if you get one of, if you get less than one of these per pack, it's, it's, you're talking like rare but, but even if it's rarity. only one per pack given how many themes there are to get a specific basic takes a long time like you, you only you might probably only in a box you probably only end up with like one maybe two of the same theme basic that's nothing yeah so i could i could see the bet the top uh, the, five of these by listing at a very unusual number for a non-foil basic yeah it's probably like the the pirate island the Phyrexian Swamp, the like dog head the, mountain. The one with the dog in the plains. None of the forest one the, good. Like the Shiro in, in the plains and the... Yeah. Uh, the, the None the of the forest look good. Yeah. They finally decided the nerf green. <laughs> the forest art isn't good. <laughs> okay, so how about Bruvac the Grand Eloquent? This is the one of the other mythics that is strongly aimed at people looking to fool around with a specific theme. Does the fact that you're giving up black in your mill deck neuter the potential for this to see a lot of play. Do you think Jason? Yep. Yeah. I can't imagine building a mill deck without Fenex as my commander. Like I just, uh, why, why would you ever play not play black? It has all the best mill cards. So then, so then is there, is Fenex big enough deal in commander that this being in the 99 will keep this price yeah. propped up? Cause currently the lowest price on this in on TCG player is thirty five dollars, and thirty five dollars for that. And over thing? in Europe, it's twenty bucks. God, I wish we could short this crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we can on Magic Online. People are people are doing it well, tonight on uh, Bonders Ornament. That's such an insane price for this card. I realize it's a mythic, and it'll. It just. Uh... I would be real surprised if a blacklist mill deck like emerges in EDH because to mill someone in in like modern their life total is 53 right and then your lightning bolt deals 10 damage 
So, like, that's pretty good. But to mill people out in EDH, they're, the table's life total is 120? Or something? No. Like, 300. Minus, you know, like, their hands and everything like that. Like, it's... It, you got to deal with a lot of damage in the form of milling cards. And Fenex is good because you have, like, Eater of Days or whatever, the card that untaps for zero mana that you can just keep retapping to mill them for four. Like, you have combo potential. And you have, you have like, blue-black creatures that, like, mill people for a significant amount or, like, get huge based on the number of cards in their graveyard and then they tap for, like, 30 with Fenex. With no black, you're just being super fair. You're like traumatizing one player. Sure. And then not what? the card, just <laughs> the experience of having the traumatized Snapcaster, yeah. traumatized Nurses Reversal. Good game, gentlemen. But yeah. the, the thing about playing mill in EDH is like if you're trying to kill somebody with damage in EDH, so are the other players. Like you are building off of what other everyone else is doing. And if you're playing Infect, their life totals 10, not 100. So, like, Infect is fine because you're playing a different game, but, like, that different game is easier. You're playing a different game, it's harder. Someone could be at 5 life, and you're like, I'll get you as soon as I mill the last 40 cards out of your library. It's like, bro, just attack me for 5. Well, I can't do that. I'm mono blue. Yeah. My commander deals one commander damage. Like, I just, I can't imagine that the black lets you combo off, and blue just makes your tome scour a little better <laughs> right so does does the is mill overall popular enough for this card say this card gets down to five bucks are you a buyer no i can't imagine a price for this card that makes me a buyer because i just no i just Get, i what if it's one sapped <laughs> if it's if it's like cheaper if it's like the price of a bulk rare i'll pay the price of a bulk rare and sell it as a bulk mythic, but like, I just, I, yeah. I, I, I had, could be I, super so, wrong. This could but, be like Robert Rice saying that the internet will have no more impact on a fax machine, <laughs> and people are gonna be playing this clip of me like, no, mill sucks, because they printed some card next year that makes mill amazing. But like, I don't, I don't know, man. It, with the cards currently in EDH, Bruvax real bad, and you should feel real bad if you think that you're gonna build a blacklist mill deck. Well, I, you should know that I had basically the same thought you did. So you keep good company. I, I wonder whether getting this at five lets you buy this at eight, six months out. Just because of the specific it set it is coming out of. And the nature of pulling mythics from this set. But I'm willing to make it a lower priority given everything else going on here. Why don't we spend a... Is there anything out of the new Jumpstart cards that we haven't talked about, Jason, that you want to highlight? Um, well, yeah, we talked about Emil and um, and Tiny Bones. Those are the the really big ones. But, like, as far as the new stuff, like, every time I look at a Thriving card, I like it less. Okay. Um, those thriving lands kind of suck. Like they're fine for limited or whatever, which is how you're supposed to play this. Um, I think branching evolution is quite good. Cause you don't, cause hardened scale says you had one more, but branching evolution says you double and doubles very good. Um, yeah. So that's, it's, it's a little more specific. 
than something like doubling season, but it's also three mana. Like I, I think it's I think it's it's quite good. I think branching evolution is probably the most important card in the yeah, set. It, I was aware of this card, but I left it off the list somehow, and I'm fully. I had already flagged it in the Discord. No, you wanted me to to bring it up because it's like we like it when our guests look like they know what they're talking <laughs> about. So you just softballed that one to me. Have Heart, you ever met Hardened James? Scales is near and dear to my heart, and I have two versions of Atraxa on file. <laughs> so, I mean, this was definitely something that flagged. It's also got a bunch of cute animals on it, so that doesn't hurt. I, I have Vorel and Pirantuthi. I have yeah. them both and, built. And this, and this slot's in a book, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This card's insane. Especially because I play stuff like... Um, Oh, I can't think of the card. You you put five unless you played out of your graveyard, and then you put ten. Like st- stupid stuff like that. Like you put ten or put twenty. Like twenty counters on something that when it dies, you draw twenty cards. Just just stuff like that. Like branching evolution is it's exactly what those decks needed. They you don't want to pay five mana for doubling season when you're not making tokens in the deck necessarily. You don't have planeswalkers like. This is a this is a very specific card that a very specific deck wanted, but there are enough of that deck that like you're not going to pull out your primal vigor to put this in, but you've been waiting for this. This is another card that's got a real big price tag on it so far. I'm very curious to see how much opening weekend will push it down because in Europe they want 20 bucks for it and lowest is 35 for a rare on TCG right now. So this is just placeholder for them daring us to not think it's doubling season i mean it isn't but it's it's quite good yeah all right so let's just quickly go over the key reprints here we've talked about some of them already you mentioned crater hoof sure huge reprint selvala heart of the wilds big deal oracle of moldiah people were asking for forever rise of the dark realms is a nice mythic reprint that's gonna some of these are gonna recover really nicely and some of these aren't and I think most of the reprints in this set, their price is predicated on their playability and not on their scarcity. I think because Sovala, like you can get like a, a $90 booster box of, of that conspiracy set on eBay. So like if people, if people really thought Sovala's like scarcity was an issue, there's a remedy for that. So I, I think almost all of these cards are, are predicated on their playability. And I think they're all, good good chances to uh, to rebound in price and i don't say that for yeah. most sets we've got uh phyrexian tower galta primal hunter hunger linvala keeper of silence rocks faith mender ghoul collar gisa black market riptide laboratory exquisite blood the list goes on yeah the set is it's it's nuts and, it's and i think it's as under opened as it may be like keep in mind the conspiracy you know it's a summer set and people only drafted it for two weeks, but at least it didn't have COVID to deal with. This set is kind of hard to parse, really encourages people to just buy singles. I don't know how much sealed product is even being like chased after. And franchise players were keen to play Conspiracy, at least a couple drafts, and even most more so for Battlebond. Battlebond was way more exciting than Conspiracy was. I personally like Conspiracy, like I liked all the reprints and I liked how much fun it was to draft a couple times, but like 
enfranchised players are going to play Jumpstart with a non-enfranchised player. Sure. But enfranchised players are not going to play Jumpstart with yeah. each other. So I think this gets opened a lot less. There is something to be said in the fact that this this product lends itself to two people being stuck in a house together for months. <laughs> Good. Yeah, but they're they're not buying a lot of it. Then. Well, you can buy a box and it can last you for a while, right? Because you can just pull out two packs, play some games till you're bored. Pull out two packs, play some games till you're bored. You know, it's good. It's good for two player play, which is more than you can say for a lot of other things, including conspiracy. So there, just to be clear, uh, both for me and our listeners, uh, definitely not because I don't know. Uh, they're selling this as a booster box with 36 normal No, packs. they're not normal packs. They're theme packs where you take... Well, okay, yeah, the theme but, packs. But, but they're, they're also bigger. Sorry, they're they're not 15 cards. Um, okay, these yeah, they're, are the bigger They're 20-card packs because you shuffle them together and they include lands. And then you have a, you have a limited deck, a 40-card deck. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay, that is what this is. I knew there was something like that. Okay, so, I mean, yeah, somebody goes and buys so I, a box, and they just jam Yeah, so you open Goblin other. Dogs, and then I open Teferi Unicorns and kick the shit out of you. Yeah, but I guess, man, this is, I guess, I find this a little odd, because who's your target market? Is it like casual players are they buying $90 booster boxes and just jamming packs against <laughs> each other i think it's i i i think it's going to be someone who plays magic who knows someone who does not play magic yep yep it's like ah this is a good way to learn magic i'm going to jump start your addiction and, and to here's magic why because it shortcuts the drafting or deck building experience that i have tried to use with new players many times in teaching the game and almost every time gotten halfway through and gone what am i doing (laughs) i have made this far too complicated for this person i should have handed them a deck and in this case you crack two packs you shuffle them and you're good to go and they're all on theme for the most part two themes probably not that complimentary but at least you don't have that much to explain to them. It's also for people that like Smash Up's a big game and they straight up ripped it off here. Like this is how you play Smash Up. You take two, you take spies and ninjas and you shuffle it together and it works largely the same. So people that have played that game may be interested in this because it works the same way. Well, I know that um, people like BDM had talked about magic really needing this product to exist and it did a really good job of filling a niche. So clearly there's some demand for this because I respect his opinion. So I guess there's a market for it. I guess I just, I don't understand, don't fully understand it, but I will defer to someone like him who I think has a much better sense of where this would go. I also think this doesn't languish on the shelf after the novelty wears off because I think the packs have enough valuable reprints in them that like if your store is sort of like, all right, we're going to lower the, the price on these to get out of them. Like someone like me will yeah, just scoop yeah, everything. Yeah. We're gonna, we'll, we'll end up well, they, getting cases of this out of Europe at like whatever cost plus 10% and roll. They, they clearly put this out with these reprints in this set with the intention of like, Oh, we want an enfranchised player 
to buy this to teach their buddy, his roommate. But what is the incentive for the enfranchised player? He doesn't want to set $90 on fire, right? Like he'll just throw a couple decks together out of his chaff to teach his friend. How do we get him to buy this box? Ah, it's giving him reprints so that he gets cool novelty stuff to show his buddy, but he also gets his money. This also has like the mystery booster Hmm. halo where it's fun at whatever it the fact that you can play it with the one person you're stuck with and then later if you've got leftover packs you can have a whole night at your house to celebrate the end of covid means they're going to reprint this a couple times as many times as the market will bear for up to a year so there we need to think about that as well because they could easily even if there's scarcity up front here and i know that jumpstart is not i think it's not being delivered to europe if i'm not mistaken on time it's going to be a month later um so there's definitely gonna be some scarcity issues on singles for the first three months but it could end up being like japanese war of the spark where eventually they fill in that gap and for six months it's super easy to find Hmm. now the the other factor here of course is that double masters (laughs) is not that far down the road so pretty hard for this to drive real hard into the market and set up shop when we've got another amazing set right on its heels i valid concern i guess sure sure i just i this jump starts coming out at a weird time where like nobody's supposed to be playing it is really going to be able to so it's it's going to be really interesting to just see how much of this just ends up sitting because like i don't i don't know if i like the hundred dollar booster box price but like if this gets real cheap like i super one of the things that's interesting here is that i'm pretty sure if i recall correctly that distributor price to vendors on this was slightly less than a standard booster box which is the first time we've seen wizards go the other direction (laughs) on costs like for instance with uh collector booster boxes they've been you know and master sets they've been continuously looking for opportunity to swallow more of the margin this is one of the first times they said we're going to actually make these a little cheaper and it wasn't a covid response if i recall correctly i think that was always part of the product plan and i think they're three or four dollars less than a standard booster box for most vendors so it, it leaves room for them to get a little lower than most boxes normally would um, it's definitely got my attention. It, I could see, I could easily see this being the lowest sales set of the summer. I mean, of the year, and the new mythics and rares out of it. But it, it came out right on top of yeah. another set. Like they don't need to keep doing. Well, that. yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like core people don't even have core twenty-one cards in hand yet, and they're releasing it side by side. So that that has to hurt more than it helps. Because people are going to be making decisions. Yeah. Do I get a jumpstart box or a collector booster box for Core 21? Wizards is definitely pretty pissed that the summer they were trying to push yes. all this gathering magic just got destroyed. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, especially if you see like a ton of Pioneer modern, modern staples and Double Masters. Because <laughs> they thought that was going to be like the perfect point to be propping both those formats up. And there's no way to play either of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although it seems like it's probably more of uh, a 
constructed masters kind of approach because if if the rumors about jace the mind sculptor and force of will etc are true then the set is pretty broadly targeted i guess i don't know what product what product line would they have been able to print and not had it suck well i mean commander the the fact that they named this year the year of commander and and structured their product mix accordingly is saving the shit out of this brand right now because if commander didn't exist magic would be in real real trouble if they were trying to hang their hopes on people be giving a crap about <clears throat> players tour wilderness reclamation games on arena they'd be in <laughs> be in a real sorry shape so the true standard has been so bad for so long that they're like well we cannot fix it we are not equipped to fix it and every time we try to fix it we make it worse so what's a format we haven't yeah. ruined yet and and it's really unfortunate they that they can't if they could hit a button and bring the the breadth of edh onto arena tomorrow they would in a heartbeat because it's really just the overhead cost of <clears throat> and the complexity of <clears throat> coding tens of thousands of cards that is daunting to them from a budget perspective and that's why we're seeing them tackle this weird format historic where they're picking and choosing which cards to airdrop into it because then they have way less coding work to do and that's setting up this frankenstein monster that is anybody's guess if it will last i sure wish they'd leave edh alone but that's me personally like you would like them to just stop building product for edh and i i would like them to make cards that are accidentally good in edh But they would print stupid cards. They're like, well, there got to be bad rares in a set. And we're like, holy shit, Sepulchre Primordial is really good. Mm-hmm. That's what I liked. I liked when the stuff was good accidentally. <laughs> yeah, except Sepulchre Primordial was aimed at EDH. <laughs> the Primordial cycle was. I mean, th- that's what they said. And it was certainly... It was certainly their first foray into it, but like... Even if they were doing one card for EDH, that was different than like, oh, we're going to do whole sets. And I like I like when they do reprints for EDH. I do not like when they do new cards for EDH. I would like them to try to make cards that are good and standard that like incidentally impact EDH. And like I realize that's like from a a finance person saying something that's bad from a business perspective. Like I realize how that sounds, but at the same time, like as someone who cares about the format and realizes it's like the one format they haven't ruined yet. And they should maybe, you know, try to keep, keep being good because it's, it's like the one paper format that'll matter. Like after they print their, (laughs) like if they decided like we're a digital card game, we're not printing any more paper cards. EDH will keep the paper market alive. So like not making that format really boring and samey and like making people have to play, build a new deck every six months. Like EDH used to be able to build a deck forever. And now it's sort of like, well, you're just, your deck's obsolete now. We, we printed something that did the exact same thing, only a little better. And here it is. I just, um, they're ruining all the other formats. Like Modern Horizons ruined Modern, so like, why would I want them to make Commander Horizons? Just wait till they get to Commander Legends, and they give you what seventy new legends. 
that's going to be a fun set review for you. <laughs> All right. So we've covered a lot of ground here. Let me see if I can sum up. Does this sound like an approximation of the top 10 most important cards across Core 21 and Jumpstart? Mengara the Diplomat. Vito Thorn of the Dust Rose. Terror of the Peaks. Double Vision. Pack Leader. Garrick's Uprising. Sublime, Sublime Epiphany. Emil the Blessed, Tiny Bones, Trinket Thief, and some mixture of themed basics and the new Terramorphic Expanse art. Oh, I forgot Branching Evolution. Branching Evolution is probably like number one okay. with a bullet out of both sets. Yeah, I can see it in my top three. So. Yep. Right. If that's your top 11, absolutely. And that was leaving out all of the reprints we've already covered. <laughs> that. Which are, I really wish that people would take this as a signal not to complain about reprints because they want five specific cards, but 20 strong reprints minimum across these two sets. And we still have double masters and commander legends and the green commander set full of reprints and whatever's in Zendikar. Which I, by the way, my prediction is that the box toppers include the fetch lands which is going to be amusing when people if that's true because <laughs> that's not what they're expecting uh all right so thanks very it's what they say they want but it's not what they actually want and that's going to be a problem yeah. uh all right jason thank you so much for your help uh trying to deconstruct this fairly complex product set thank you travis uh where well... can people find you online jason I'm Jason E. Alt on Twitter, and if you check the pin post at the top of my profile, it um, lists all the places I'm found online. As you might know, I write a column on MTG Price every week, but I also write a column on Cool Stuff, Inc., formerly Gathering Magic, where I talk about the 75% EDH deck-building ethos. I have a podcast about MTG Finance that may interest you called Brainstorm Brewery. And I'm on a movie podcast called Film Hooligans on the They Said We Said YouTube network. All these links are available at my Twitter, Jason E. Alt. <laughs> well done. On the Twitter. Every every guest we bring on is like, uh, no, I mean, no, you know, there's, maybe I, I have MySpace. a Twitter account. And then Jason's like, yeah, Jason's like, hold on, he unravels the scroll. Well, people are like, I own an LGS and I don't want you looking at pictures of my children. And that's fair. <laughs> Where can they find you, Travis? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I would love for you to look at photos of my children. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. I have no children. At Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, yeah. And you, you guys James. can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com. I've done less of that and more haunting our persistently haunting our discord helping people get the most value from their money i'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just 7.99 a month or 79.99 per year you can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering lately it's been all about a ridiculous number of excellent group buys folks so Really, just saving on sealed product will make it worth your while. You may as well kick on in here and check it out for yourself. 
Nifty. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. It was a chock full episode. Uh, it was a lot of chock block A lot of fun to have you on uh, again, Jason. Thanks again for coming once more. Yeah, you should invite me more often. I'm very insightful. Jason knows some things. And charming, for sure. Well, I doubled down on the one thing I cared about, and it it turned out it worked out pretty well for me. So, um, yeah, just it turns out there's room in this hobby to just care about one thing. Remember when people thought specking on EDH cards was dumb because people only buy one copy of? (laughs) Uh, You sound like me seven years ago. All of us seven years ago. (laughs) Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Jason. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG. Fast Finance.